I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, everyone. It is me, Sarah Sentry. I have been your host throughout this uh, month of many, many episodes of Halloween and awesomeness. So I hope that you're having a great Halloween, whatever time it is and whatever date it is, whenever you're actually listening to this. I hope that you're having a great, 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 great Halloween still. The spirit of Halloween lives in you. And I wanted to say that this is a series that we usually do on the Patreon channel. So Bitches of X, which is where Priya and I talk about X-Men comics. And right now we've been going through the Dark Phoenix saga for what seems like forever, but there's a lot of episodes on there. So if you want to hear more, go ahead and subscribe to the Patreon. There's lots of episodes of Bitches of X up and there's more to come. So go ahead and hop in. We're about ready to wrap up the Dark Phoenix saga finally right we've been doing this for a long time but there's a lot to talk about mostly it's us yelling gene again and again which is what we were doing anyway this time we're doing it in front of a microphone thanks a lot for tuning in again happy halloween and if you want to check out more x-men content you can always follow on bitches of x which is on our patreon any tier of support will get you episodes so sign up today and for now enjoy our tirade on how much we love vampire storm everybody. It is I, Sarah Century. I am here to introduce Bitches of X, but <sighs> we have to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming because... It's, it's October and it's it's spooky month. It's Halloween It's Halloween time. time. I'm Priya and I read these comics because they're good and also maybe not so good, but like fun. <laughs> Fun, I guess, is probably the key word. Sarah, <laughs> what is your favorite lesbian vampire movie? I'm curious. 
just even <laughs> your okay so you started asking that question and my eyes went so wide that the listeners can't possibly know that so i'm just <laughs> giving a heads up that the second that that question even began my brain was flooded by dozens <laughs> of answers and I had to narrow and narrow and narrow and narrow. And in the a split second, the in, just in the blink of an eye, I came up with the perfect one that I love the most. Well, there's three. So <laughs> the first one is Fascination. I love the movie Fascination. It's a Gene Rollin movie. And so it's dreamy and weird and messed up. And it has a lesbian vampire who's very offbeat and... Has, you know, I have a tattoo of this movie. I've talked about it a lot of times on a lot of podcasts, including a prior episode of this <laughs> offshoot podcast, because I'm super proud of this tattoo. It's a woman who has a cape and nothing else on, and she has a big old scythe, because that is like the the image that is most associated with fascination. I'm not going to say that it's a completely painless movie. If I tell you to watch <laughs> something from the seventies, then I hope that the trigger warning is implicit <laughs> because anything genre from the seventies is seriously, yeah. you need to put a trigger warning on that, but you still got to know something about the seventies. So you might as well watch lesbian vampire movies to learn about it. So it's basically just, a, to me, a masterpiece. I love that movie. I think it's probably, in my heart, my favorite one, right? Okay, aesthetically, though, I gotta say mm -hmm. Vampiros Lesbos is really, really good as well. Vampiros Lesbos is incredible performances, very weird. It's just clearly, these are movies that are like mm -hmm. skin flicks, right? Like they're kind of pseudo porn <laughs> and would be shown in kind of late night theaters and stuff like that you know they're <laughs> European films so it's like they're all very sexualized and the actors are usually actors who did you know basically porn films before or after or not not always but you know, a lot of times. And, like, um, I want to make it clear that I mean this as, uh, like, that they did this movie, they did that movie. <laughs> They're all movies to me, folks. Like, I think that's great. But I was going to say that in Vampiros Lesbos, <laughs> it's just, like, the whole beginning of it starts with this Hammond organ music that is some of my favorite music in the world. I love <laughs> lesbian vampire organ music so much just so much as what I want to play, you know, at my wedding, my funeral, <laughs> literally anything, any place I go, like I w just want lesbian vampire organ music playing. And the beginning of Vampiros Lesbos is her, you know, looking in a mirror and uh, doing like a seductive dance. And then she's like positioning this mannequin <laughs> and like, weird kind of contorted positions and there's a woman who she eventually they fall in love named linda who's there with her boyfriend and they're just watching this as a part of it's like a performance that's happening and linda is just like very transfixed <laughs> on what's happening and her boyfriend's like this is a pretty good show right like nice vibes and her like linda's I just love like that her name is linda <laughs> I love her name being Linda. I love her name being Linda so much. It's really great. Linda. 
like such a good name and it's it just lends to the vampire lesbian mm-hmm. way of talking <laughs> like linda I was at Forbidden Planet, the comic store in New York. I was like, I've been wanting to watch Vampires Lesbos, but like I couldn't find it like online or at the library anywhere. And they have a copy. I saw they had one at Forbidden Planet and I didn't get it because it was like $16. I was like, I don't know if I want it, but now I keep thinking about it. And I'm like, I should go back and get it actually. (laughs) Well, you can listen to the soundtrack on, you know, whatever, Spotify or whatever, or YouTube even. And uh, the soundtrack is great. It's great. (laughs) It's kind of famously one of the best weird 70s soundtracks of all time. So I highly recommend at least getting into the vibe. And yeah, watching it as soon as you can. But I understand what you mean, because these are not easy movies to find. Same with Fascination. I wish that movie had a 4K remaster, but I've never seen one. So I'm very excited about that. And then I want to say the sleeper hit, (laughs) which is really funny because these are all movies that nobody has seen, right? But (laughs) the sleeper hit among these obscure European lesbian vampire films that most people would probably find very problematic, but which I love so much that it's almost as if like they're actual people in my life basically but blood spattered bride i think is my favorite because that's the one where susan (laughs) much like linda susan is um married to a guy who she is not attracted to because (laughs) susan's a lesbian right and (laughs) she hates this guy because he's also a sadist right and so he becomes like crueler and crueler and she withdraws more and then of course she meets the beautiful Michaela who is also mm. Carmila no Michaela sorry the beautiful Michaela Carmila and she they just go on a murder spree actually I guess I was gonna try to put that in um kind of a teasing teaser way or something but instead it came out as just like well it's just a murder spree actually and that's pretty much what happens but on the way there, there's a bunch of really interesting commentary. It's it's one of those movies that is more interesting than you think it mm-hmm. is at surface. Like, I watched it, and then it just, like, haunted me, and I was obsessed with it. And then I watched it again and was like, damn, this movie is so good. I love it so much. Susan, as a lesbian who hates her husband, is just maybe one of... She's just so relatable, and she's trying to get out of it and trying to get away from this guy and can't and then she's obsessed with this and then she's just like you know you know what like you don't nowadays they don't make movies about like lesbians who hate their husbands because like i guess less fewer are like in that situation now i guess but it's like i guess maybe when this movie came out it was more common right he's richer than her she clearly has nowhere to go if she leaves and Yeah, she hates him. He thinks that being married to her means that he owns her, which, you know, by the laws of the 70s, it basically did. And so it's just brutal and just so weirdly compelling and kind of a subtle commentary, I think, on, yeah, the patriarchy, essentially, like the 
uh, violence of these men is kind of reflected. You know, it's not necessarily what Susan wants to do, but at a certain point she's like, well, I'm a lesbian who's married to a guy who hates me. So I guess like that's basically the best solution is just to kill everybody. (laughs) And it's just like, (laughs) you know what? I don't know what solution I would have come up with. (laughs) I just don't. So bravo, because... Yeah, I don't know what I would have done in the in that same situation. I just read Jane Eyre for the first time. Mm. And so at the end of that, like Bertha, the like wife, she like burns the mansion down and like uh commits suicide. I was like, I I I get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't not understand this because I feel like if I, this had happened to me, I Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you're just like, no wonder whenever, whenever wives of a certain era, I guess, are you just like, oh, killed my husband and ran across the globe or something. You're just like, yeah, totally. (laughs) Like, I get it, I guess, in a way not to excuse that behavior. It's awful. But it's also awful to trap somebody in a marriage, you know, like, I mean, there's like so much classic literature about like women where I read it. And I'm like, I think these women were lesbians. Like I read Anne of Green Gables. I'm like, okay, but Anne is like a lesbian. And then I read Jane Eyre. And I'm like, I I think Jane Eyre could be a lesbian. Yo, Mrs. Dalloway? Like, <laughs> I was, I remember whenever I first read Mrs. Dalloway and I was like, Mrs. Dalloway's a dyke? Like, <laughs> this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Um, and honestly, it's a pretty great movie. Or sorry, it's a pretty great book. Sorry, my nephew just broken and let screaming cat downstairs so hang on just a sec i gotta get rid of screaming cat i'll be right back do you hear her already screaming okay yes (laughs) oh hi (laughs) i thought i had (laughs) unmuted myself and i didn't so you just missed like a little monologue about screaming cat but (laughs) What's your favorite lesbian vampire thing? Because you read, have you read the Carmilla series or that the, I guess it was just released as a single book, right, Carmilla? Yeah, yeah, I really liked that. I I read it when I was like a teenager, I think, and I really liked it. A few months ago, I saw the movie The Hunger, which was good. I feel like that's like the like the tip of the iceberg of lesbian vampire movies is like that's is like that's the first one. And then you go all the way down. Yeah, Yeah, it's like, oh, no, now I'm hooked on lesbian vampires. Yeah, that one was good. I saw also like Hulu did a movie called Jagged Mind, which is is like a time travel horror movie about a lesbian couple. And that is like sort of vampirish, more on a conceptual level than like a like a fangs level. But um, I really liked that one. Uh, it stars uh, Maisie Richardson Sellers, who is in um, Legends of Tomorrow. So I oh, like her. This is exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I saw this. Neat. All right. I am going to watch it. I'm putting it on my list. Uh, gentle viewers, thanks for being here while I <laughs> fill out my Hulu list. 
<laughs> I watched that movie and I was like, oh, this is like taking a lot of influence from The Hunger. And so it was one of those moments where I feel like a like a cinema expert because I'm like, oh, I see. <laughs> Push like the glasses up on your nose a little bit and be like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, oh, I know. I know all about the Carmilas. <laughs> Carmela is such a goddamn good book. I am stunned. I revisited it recently and was just like, this is so great. And then I went to read some uh, criticism or whatever, you know, whatever. There's been a lot of people who have written mm-hmm. about Carmela and somebody, the one that I chose, I don't remember who it was by or where it was from, but they were basically just like, oh yeah, the tension between Carmela and this girl's dad is like off the charts. And I was like, the dad's even in the book? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? That's so funny. It was so amazing. It has so many like iconic moments like the, there's the thing that like, it reminds me of like the Goblin Market poem where it's like somewhere and then she's like, oh, I feel sick or whatever. And then there's the thing where Laura is like, sometimes I think I can still hear her footsteps behind me. I'm like, this is so, it's so good. And like, it, yeah. it's just good. And so it's like, why would, she, it's not about the dad. Who is he? What? <laughs> He's just kind of lurking around and doesn't really do much other than to be like, of course she can live with us forever. She's like, of course, going to be my wife. And Carmela's just like, I'm super into your daughter. <laughs> like, I'm into everybody's daughters, it turns out, actually, because they're like, yeah, there was this like string of dead bodies behind her. And it's just like that for Carmila, that's just a regular ass breakup. Like, you know, and that's why I think <laughs> lesbians can relate to Car- Carmila in this story because it's just, it's, it's their, their interest in each other is so intense and kind of toxic. And then it's over, right? Because it's like Carmila's gone. It's all the more intense because there's not like a word for it, right? Like, like, it wouldn't be the same if it was, like, a guy or something. Like, it is these lonely yeah. women. Or, like, Laura is lonely. She's like, oh, I'm excited. I'll have a friend. Then it's this, like, intense mm-hmm. lady who, like, declares her undying love for her. <laughs> yeah. Who's like, well, I've never loved anybody except for you, I guess. <laughs> and <laughs> she's like this is so overwhelming. I loved your company, but God, <laughs> so much. <laughs> and then it's just like, and then Carmela bounced that day and you're like, what? Dude? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But that's exactly how it is. <laughs> just like, I feel like I've dated Carmela. Um, <laughs> it's like when people say like body count to talk about how many people they've had sex with, but like, it's like literally <laughs> like body count as in people you've killed. yeah carmilla has a body count for sure and it's just so funny through the whole thing where they're just like oh oh another another dead one huh (laughs) Uh, carmilla and then carmilla of course has inspired basically every lesbian vampire everything forever so and carmilla also inspired of course dracula but Ah, uh, that's a story for another time. I was thinking that 
ha- have you read there's a poem and oh my god why am i going to forget everything about this poem okay uh, christabel <laughs> yes that's it yes <laughs> the unfinished poem by uh coleridge so yeah i read it i read it in like college i was like oh this mm-hmm. is cool she's like a she's like a snake lady kind of um I think. yeah that and then, fun. like, the story goes, like, open. Then they went into her cave for the end. <laughs> and you're just like, yes. <laughs> yes it ended because, because Coleridge didn't know how women have sex with each yeah, other. I think that's so why he that's didn't finish like, it. That is, <laughs> honestly, if there is a unintentional theme in lesbian vampire stories, I have to say that the guy is who write them not knowing how lesbians have sex is probably (laughs) one of the big ones there's a few that are by women the moth diaries was honestly i think really underrated i like that movie and um yeah like the velvet vampire you know there's there's a few but for the most part it is horny straight men and that is where sometimes i have to begrudgingly understand that I have a lot in common with horny straight men <laughs> because I'm just like, this movie is a goddamn masterpiece. <laughs> like, regardless of any flaws in it, I'm just like, I turn it off and I'm just here for the lesbian vampires and that's just how it is. I'm, I feel much the same way, I guess, about these comics. <laughs> Where mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, Storm's a vampire? Okay. She becomes a vampire for only one issue. But then comes, mm-hmm. it's like two issues, I guess. Because it's uh, Uncanny 159 and then X-Men Annual number six. And then years pass, years and years and years pass until the 90s happen. <laughs> the late <laughs> 90s specifically, right? Like, you've got to be specific. It was post X Factor. Now we're in Mutant X territory and Havoc goes to a completely different world and he's married to Madeline Pryor and all of this chaos is happening on the side. Also, Bloodstorm exists. It's funny because it's like it's the book is about like Havoc goes to another reality where he's like really cool and everyone likes him. But like the Havoc we see is like the one who's like kind of a loser and people don't like, but he's pretending to be the one that everyone likes. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm cool for sure. They're like, oh, yeah, you're the leader of the Fallen. And he's like, oh, yeah, yes, I am. And you're just like, that's such a havoc thing just to fall (laughs) into things, you know? It's like he's always so out of his league, but on the other hand, it's basically just because he's the blonde, blue-eyed dude who walks into a room and everybody's like, oh, you're the leader. (laughs) And he's just like, oh, um, I could do that. And it's like, but he's never been good at it or prepared for it, right? Famously. I know that many people have talked about how unprepared. He also just like doesn't want to be there. He's like, why do I have to deal with this? And he like really resents it. He's like, I like rocks and science. That's what I want (laughs) to deal with in my life. And everybody is just like, absolutely not have it. Back on the team where you're the leader and all of the pressure's on you. (laughs) It's just like, oh yeah, P.S. You'll never live up to your brother's example, just so you know. 
Havoc sees the Twitter polls where people are like, who is the best X-Men leader? He sees that Cyclops is winning and he sees that he's not even on the poll. And then he closes Twitter to go look at rocks. And then he goes and does the M-Day speech or whatever that was. And, <laughs> uh, and then you're just like, stop giving this man a microphone. Um, <laughs> just stop. He's not good at speeches. Just let... See, that's but that's what I love about Alex is, is that he can't but he can't help but be thrown into these situations that he's completely out of his depth. So I'm like, yeah, he would be happier going and looking at rocks. But that's why I think that he should never be allowed to look at rocks. <laughs> I'm like, I want this character miserable. So if anybody deserves it, it's the Summers Brothers. Let's just be real with that. And I, I say that as someone who, during the recording of the Madeline Pryor episode of Cerebro, had to come to grips with the fact that I am perhaps more like a Summers Brother than I ever <laughs> knew. The point is, is Mutant X is wild. It is the most late 90s-ish thing. They're all goth. They're all so, so goth. And then later, yeah, Storm comes back because whenever she was a teenage pickpocket, that's when this Dracula found her and she dated young Cyclops, I think. This is just kind of a weird... I never read that story. I missed that entirely. Or maybe I did and I just forgot about it. That's very possible. <laughs> but I'm not sure exactly where that popped up. I think it was like 2018-ish. Like, it was the time display Cyclops. I think it was kind oh, of like yeah. right before he like went back to his regular time. He like went on a date with um, Vampire Storm. And then I think she died, which is unfortunate because I yeah. like her. Even yeah. if she was just like hanging out in the mutant x universe god forbid women do anything <laughs> seriously god forbid you let women be undead mistress <laughs> of the night um <laughs> yeah i was just like wouldn't it just be fun just to have shitty teenage punk store and she just like steals candy bars from the corner store <laughs> yeah she can't eat though. She's a vampire, but she's still going to steal them. And I always think that, yeah, I, I just wish because I just, I think that we always have to make Storm be so perfect and so badass. There was a time when Storm was kind of a fuck up, <laughs> like back in the day. I understand why people wouldn't want to not necessarily pursue that with her at this point, but I also kind of love that there was a shitty Storm era, right? Because it's just like, it yeah. humanizes her. Like, you never ever want a character who is perfect, because then nobody wants to read about that. You want someone who, like has problems or like has had problems in their life and sometimes you want someone who gets turned into a vampire and that's what happens to storm here <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's the history i guess in some ways of the vampire storm but it all begins in uh uncanny x-men number 159 i don't really like the cover of this issue too much just it feels kind of underwhelming and i'm like i feel like there could have been something more exciting the interiors are really good like it almost makes me mad how like it's like bill sankiewicz is so like he's such a good like fine artist right like he's just like really good but then he's all he's also just really good at storytelling 
in comics form. And I'm like, how can you be so good at both? Like, that's not fair. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's good stuff. Now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure. So this is Claremont and Sienkiewicz collaborating. And I'm pretty sure like the next time they collaborate is like the new mutant stuff, right? Like with mm -hmm. um, the like demon bear. And like that is also horror. And then and this is like also a horror story. So like he really like leans into the like, I don't even know how you describe his style. But like he leans into that way more in the new mutant stuff. And here it's mm -hmm. way less. But it's still like horror and I don't know. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, they're both comparative. I mean, Chris Claremont at this point had done so so many comics, but yeah, <laughs> and he, you know, yeah, Moon Knight. Moon Knight was a great uh, example of his early work. Uh, not Claremont, but Zinkevich. And I was thinking that yeah, Demon Bear is a horror story. It is a great horror story. I still think that so much of it is such a creepy, creepy story. But mm -hmm. it is interesting, as you say, that it, it. I think just as a result of him being more himself, I guess later, whenever the Demon Bear happens, you see a lot more of the that kind of inventive, ingenuitive kind of stuff from his yeah. art. But here. It's interesting. Yeah, I wonder what Demon Bear era art would have looked like. You know, it's like almost you wish that like you could see, but it's it's always really cool to be able to watch that trajectory. This is like something that comes up again and again when we're talking about these old X-Men comics is watching people as creatives be able to grow over a long period of time is something that you really just don't get that often anymore. And it's really nice to see it, you know, on just one book and be like, cool, we're in this for a while. Yeah, exactly. That's so much of what is like rewarding about reading comics that like are coming out over a period of like years or decades is seeing artists and writers evolve. It's cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's what I love. I yeah I miss it but this is to me this is one of the wildest things because I cannot believe that Storm becomes a vampire I guess I'll just say <laughs> but it's so fascinating right because of even of all of the characters it's interesting that it is Storm but <laughs> this story begins it's night screams which is in the best lettering I've ever seen <laughs> in my life and it just begins with pure chaos do you want to set the scene yeah a bunch of x-men are like barging into misty knight's apartment and nightcrawler has like teleported in and then they are all looking super surprised at this like lady who's there because they're like we thought this was misty knight's apartment who are you and she's like I'm Misty Knight's roommate. Who are you guys? And they're like, oh my gosh, we just barge into this lady's apartment. <laughs> yep. Harmony Young. <laughs> you know the lady kid? I just find this very charming. And of course, you would have to be very chill with the world and X-Men barging into your house if you were going to be Harmony Young. But Nightcrawler... Is it, uh, immediately on the make he's just like hello hello and <laughs> does the like gets down on his knees and kisses her hand which i think is a bit much kurt 
but I think Nightcrawler likes tall women because he likes Aurora and he likes Megan and this lady is also pretty tall so I think that's his type oh yeah he's just like that kind of like medium height guy that loves tall <laughs> women we we all know so one. True. <laughs> we all know them <laughs> and god bless because who doesn't but yeah it's very very wild storm <laughs> they just yeah go ahead make yourself at home x-men uh, <laughs> i guess the implication is that like Missy had to get a new roommate because, like, Jean died, I guess. And it's like, the X-Men, I guess, didn't think about that. But it's like, well, of course, like, they had, they were renting this big place. Like, you think Missy can afford it on her own? No, she needs a roommate. Yeah. And <laughs> you this know is New York. <laughs> Misty doesn't want to pay full rent anywhere. I would, I would just, as a person who prefers to pay less rent myself, <laughs> I can only imagine that, you know, Misty Knight, who has to literally work for every dollar that she gets, is just like, you know what? Let's go half seas. Now, I can understand it from Misty's perspective. I do not understand why anybody would move in with Misty. <laughs> because even though she's the coolest person on the planet, you know that that par- apartment is going to explode. You know that people are breaking into the apartment through shattering the window like twice mm-hmm. a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, come on, but yeah, there's a cute sequence here where Kitty like has to go over to her parents' house, I think to have dinner with like both her parents. And then Storm is like going to take her, but Storm doesn't have like civilian clothes, and so she borrows some of Harmony Young's clothes. And then she and Kitty get, like, all dressed up, and it's cute. It is extremely cute, and Storm looks completely out of her element getting these clothes, which I find charming, honestly. It's like, Storm, yeah, you've she never has... just dressed like a regular old person, you know? <laughs> Like, it's yeah. just not, it's not something that she's willing to do on a normal situation. Any random day, she would prefer just to dress like a goddess, so... God bless. Sinkevich gives her some like kind of cute like expressions. She just looks kind of like um like innocent here. She's I feel a like that really fire, right? Like I get Yeah, that no, vibe. yeah, exactly. It's a nice contrast to like what we'll see later, which is her being more evil. <laughs> Sexy evil. It's like <laughs> the sexier she gets, the more evil she is. And <laughs> This is not necessarily uh, I have a question for you, which is, do you think Misty Knight and Harmony Young were an item? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you don't even have to <laughs> ask. I was like, <laughs> I'm like. I feel like that's I the mean, most plausible explanation for like why she would move in with her is yes. like no yeah. one who like isn't like super into her is going to like do that. That's it. You can't. I it's first of all as a gay person I hear the word roommate and I'm like "Mm." (laughs) even though I'm somebody who has had many roommates that I was not at all interested in in fact but I it's just like kind of funny because you're just like two ladies only two living together in New York roommates hmm or (laughs) but also it's like one of them is like a tough ex-cop and then the other one is like a fashion model it's like i see i see what's happening here (laughs) you know what i mean it might as well 
because we're in lesbian vampire world. I mean, technically, yes. I guess this isn't a lesbian vampire story. It's isn't it wild that Storm isn't uh, canonically gay? Like, I'm always like is, obviously like, bi, but what? It just doesn't make sense. Like, I thought she was canonically bisexual, but it's I guess like not. she <laughs> is in my heart, and I'm just like, I guess they're like not gonna ever make that canon because it's like now Disney is gonna do something with them, and like right. that's fine. But it's like, like she kisses women. I know it. <laughs> There's no way that she doesn't because I mean, I guess if you just went over all of Claremont's work on the X Men and went delete. <laughs> like control (laughs) um then you might be able to get by thinking that storm was a straight woman i guess but if you read any of extreme x-men i don't think that any person on any of those teams there was no straight person on that book i don't think and well was there no no i don't think so and <laughs> even like Rogue and Gambit are by even definitely. lifeguard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lifeguard! I'm like they're all just a bunch of queer mos, but <laughs> I am glad for them that they are. But that is quite literally the book where the hot tub tentacles Callisto <laughs> storm. Like she goes into a literally a sex club wearing fetish bird fetish. Just, I mean, no, I won't believe it, Disney. No matter what you tell me, I will not believe it. Can you imagine being the, like, person who, like, like sends these files to the printer back in, like, 2001, and you're, like, looking at these, like, comic book pages, (laughs) and you're like, okay, I guess this is what Marvel is publishing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially with Extreme X-Men, where it's literally, it's almost like Chris Claremont writing fan fiction about his run on X-Men, kind of. Yeah. And you're just like, this is totally an AO3 story, and it kind of owns for an (laughs) AO3 story, right? Like, everybody is disappointed in those comics, and it's literally just because you're reading them as comics, but if you read that as a fanfiction on AO3, you would be like, five stars. You have a billion kudos. (laughs) It'd be like, oh my god, the part was Storm and the Bird Mask? I'm obsessed. But instead it happened in comics, and it had like kind of basic art and was not everybody's thing, so... But anyway, I digress. Alex is here, I guess. He's here. <laughs> He's just summers. here to, like, hang out. I think it's funny that, because, like, Claremont doesn't write, like, Lorna that much, I feel like. But mm-hmm. it's, like, when he writes her here, she's, like, talking like a very, like, a very, like, in-charge lady. Like, the kind that he likes to write. I just think it's funny that's, like, Claremont's default. Oh. Yeah, it's like he never quite figured out what he wanted to do with Lorna, I don't think, but he couldn't ever really get rid of her as a character either because, you know, and so even now when people say that Lorna doesn't have a personality or whatever, I'm always like, "Eh, well, maybe not in like the Claremont run, maybe not in parts of X Factor. But say what you will about Peter David, which I have plenty to say about him too, but I will give him one one iota of credit, which is, is that whenever I think of Lorna, I think of Lorna from the his early run on X Factor because 
that to me was a complicated person who, yeah, she breaks up with havoc. All kinds of stuff happens. So it's like as yeah. much as honestly, I think of um, Leah Williams, uh, Polaris, because like I feel like um, early X Factor didn't like leave much of an impression on me. I just right. kind of like read it. I was like, okay, there was that like X of Swords issue that's told from Lorna's perspective, and it's kind of mm-hmm. just about like her struggles with mental illness and kind of like not um, yeah. fitting in or like disappointing people. And I found that very moving. Um, so I really liked that mm-hmm. version of the character. I liked how she had this, like, kind of halo of, like, pointy things, like, just kind of floating around her head. So, like, if she needed, like, a pointy thing to throw at someone, she could just do that. I thought that was fun. It really upsets me that we never get to see her and Wanda, and we never really get to see, you know. It's like every now and again we do, but Lorna really is kind of off to the side, I think that that's fun, and I think that that would make Wanda like her, because Wanda always likes weirdos. That's, I mean, Wanda is the weirdest of us all, right? So I always think that Wanda's, the thing that I love about Wanda is, is that she's such a strange person, you know? It's like, no matter what, no matter what scenario you you put Wanda in, I have no idea what choice she's going to make, right? I've been reading comics my entire life. I've known this character forever. She's been in so many books that I've read, so many great books, so many terrible books. I never know what she's going to do because she is out of control, wild person who is just odd in a way that I love. Like, I think that it's incredible. And so her relationship with Lorna, I would love to see more. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now. You just said Wanda is like strange. And so somehow I just had like the mental image of Wanda as Therese in Carol. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She's flung out of space. It's that vibe though, because when you watch, I mean, yeah, when you read the book, obviously, but when, even when you watch the film Carol, it's always interesting to have that kind of character who's sort of just weird. And it's like, she has everything going for her. Same as Wanda does. She's beautiful, has all this power, you know, everything. But it's she. there's just something fundamentally weird about her, you know, that makes it mm-hmm. impossible for her to feel like she really, truly fits in anywhere. With Wanda, I think that that can be class a lot, like the stuff that she grew up with and all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. The fact, obviously her heritage even though that's been really sliding scale (laughs) for marvel for quite a while but i always think that those characters right the ones that are like you should be able to fit in anywhere and do what you want because you're beautiful and wonderful but there's just something very weird about you (laughs) to the point where it's like you never seem like you're just not totally clicking with the world which i think is a good thing but yeah, that's how I yeah. feel. And I guess that's why um, it was intuitive for them. Like when they did Young Avengers and they had Billy and he's like the Scarlet Witch kid and he's like the gay one initially. And so it's like, of course, the like the one based on Scarlet Witch would be like a gay boy. Like that is that like edge of like weirdness. But yeah, I guess that's not super relevant to this comic right now. It's not, but it's but a it good it's a good tangent. Yeah. I like that we went on this tangent. I know. <laughs> I think that it could go a lot longer, but we'll have to <laughs> save that for whenever we're actually talking about 
any of those <laughs> characters, I guess. Because here's what's happening. We're trying to avoid talking about the Summers brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Having like, like this just isn't their story right now. It's like, you guys can have your thing, but like another time. We're talking about Storm right now. <laughs> so it's, and, there's this really cute um, panel of like Kitty, like on in her room like on the phone Can she's like lying down <laughs> yeah yeah she's like tossing her um teddy bear up and down and she's just like yeah i i just wanted to call and check on you guys then she like <laughs> mentions that storm like they realize that storm like didn't come back they're like what happened to storm then we get this really cool panel of like storm lying wounded in an alley and it's like she's kind of it's like a forced perspective thing i think is what it's called and she's kind of mm -hmm. lying like outside of the panel edges which is super cool there are parts of this issue that do really cool things with panels like comic like the layout yeah. of the panels and i feel like i find myself panels and like layouts is so important to like keep me like invested in a comic and to like keep me like mm -hmm. interested and there is some really like impressive ones here and um yeah it's just really cool i love i love when somebody's kind of outside of it it's like for here it kind of is foreshadowing the like creepiness of it it's like uh -oh, oh, yeah. we're going a little outside the box here um <laughs> but yeah it's cool because like it also is such a big um tonal shift from earlier in the issue and yes. it's all like it's all these like blue colors kind of like eerie shading so it's like ooh, we're getting spooky now right because the cover is looks like a horror comic and then mm -hmm. the first several pages of this comic have just been kind of a farce they're all having family moments and nightcrawlers flirting with harmony and all of this and harmony is flirting back i to be clear but uh, <laughs> then it's just like, oh, it's a horror comic because <laughs> like Storm has been attacked. You know, it's like it's you almost think that this is just going to be like kind of a cute little fill in issue. And then you're like, mm -hmm. wait a second. That cover was creepy as hell. Oh, OK. It just came back around. <laughs> I see what's happening. We're in a horror story. Welcome. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> yeah, and I like when um, like when horror movies will kind of start out that way of just kind of something kind of casual or just like friends hanging out. And you're like, okay, but like, I saw the cover of this. I know something scary is going to happen. But it, so like, you're kind of on edge, but it's like, maybe you almost yeah. like forget that something spooky is going to happen. But then like, it happens. Like, um, Last night I was watching the movie <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We were talking about this earlier before we started recording. But like like the yeah. first like half hour of that movie is just like friends hanging out on a road trip. And then there's like a creepy guy with a knife, but it's like mostly just regular. And then the like chainsaw guy comes and you're like, oh yeah, this is a horror movie. Um, so I just like <laughs> it when they do that. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of just like, oh, cool. Well, it's weird out here. This is all very strange, but it's all right. Um, hey, what's that house over there? <laughs> and then it's like, carnage. Yeah, uh, same. <laughs> it is basically that, yeah. I always love a horror format where they're like, it's chill. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 
so then a storm, someone, I think, like, finds her in the alley and they rush her to the ER. And the X-Men come rushing in the ER. They're like, oh, no, where's Storm? Then the doctor is like, she's alive, but we're not sure. And I really like that the doctor is a woman and, like, a woman of color. I was just kind of pleasantly surprised by that. Like, I don't know if there's, like a pop culture thing that it's supposed to be referencing but it's just like a minor character in like two pages and it's just she's like a woman of color so that's cool storm is moving around she's up and about she has survived the attack she wants to leave the hospital <laughs> and uh but not before she stares out the window and thinks about I, how i love the night she's in this like white dress which i guess is maybe like a hospital gown is also very like lucy from dracula mm -hmm. <laughs> and she has this like big hair which maybe is just how sinkevich draws her hair but it's like i don't know it looks cool it looks cool <laughs> um storm is quickly put to bed in misty's room is what the dialogue says which or what the caption says which sounds um that's like the subtitle of my own AO3 fan fiction, but <laughs> that's another story for another time. So it's really funny because all the dudes are like lurking over her and she's like, get out, like get out. And Nightcrawler's like, Hey, we're going to be outside though. Like we'll leave, but holler if you need us. And she says, I shall. And then it says, the narration and the narration is over her having like night sweats and you know biting her lip and um you know there's like it's a really cool um like paneling yeah. like um it's kind of cinematic how it goes back and forth from showing storm kind of like freaking out in her sleep to showing like outside and like the night mm -hmm. air from the window fog is coming it's really in <laughs> it um, says... yeah a little bit earlier you um kind of compared the art style to like tomb of dracula and that's also kind of what it was reminding me of like um gene colin kind yeah, of yeah 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 i think in his early career he looks a lot like uh neil adams if neil adams was a little bit more horror based you know uh, you you can see his influences still really clearly at this age or at this stage, and so I think that makes it kind of fun to read this one. But it does very much look like another issue of Tomb of Dracula. So the dial or the caption says, "Eyes close, eyes open. Around her is darkness and silence. She can hear the faint murmur of her friends' voices, so near yet so far away." Surprisingly, she finds herself feeling totally alone. That frightens her. I got too excited. That frightens her. She tosses, turns, trying in vain to make herself comfortable. As the night deepens, her senses sharpen, becoming unbearably acute. A voice calls to her. She ignores it for as long as she is able. <laughs> then it has her eye pop open. There's this, like, cool panel of, like, her face, um, and this is, like, the, I'm looking at, like, the, like, digitally recolored mm -hmm. version, so I'm not super sure what it's like, because it's, like, has this weird shading, so I feel like that was probably, like, a effect with, like, the coloring, but I don't have, like, the original, like, issue, so I'm not sure what's yeah, up same. there, but it looks cool. 
Then, as if in a dream, praying this is a dream, she rises from her bed. And then it says her hand trembles as she reaches for the bay window, not with fear, but with anticipation and a desire beyond her wildest imaginings. And then Storm throws open the window. (laughs) She's wrapped in a bed sheet and she says, enter freely and of your own will, which, of course, famously are the words that you say to let a Dracula inside. (laughs) It's so cool how like the it's like the fog is kind of curling around her, mm-hmm. and it it shows in this issue that like one of the vampire powers is like they turn into fog. So it's <laughs> yeah. it's fun. The art is great. I love all of this. It's very sexy seduction Dracula time, and uh, not reading the room as Teen Kitty often does not. She just <laughs> shows up. Hey guys, did you miss me? <laughs> and everybody's brooding because their friend became a vampire kitty. Where's Aurora? I think it's kind of sweet because it's like it's all it's all these um three male characters, right? It's Nightcrawler and Colossus and Wolverine. And it's like you get the impression that none of them are gonna super wanna talk about their feelings. You can see through their actions and like their expressions how much they love Aurora and how much they want her to be okay. Um, so I just thought that was kind of Cute. It's all very precious. I mean, even Kitty being <laughs> being Kitty, quite frankly, just running <laughs> into a room yelling things and uh, carrying her teddy bear, just absolutely adorable. <laughs> but Kitty's always like, I'm not a kid. Don't treat me and like now a she kid. has her like little teddy bear right there. It's just like, okay, Kitty. <laughs> She says, tell me, please. And they explain everything that's happened. Of course, ever in control of her emotions, Kitty screams no. (laughs) Teleport, like, uh, phases through the wall and uh, pops open. (laughs) The the number one thing she does is run inside (laughs) and pop open the curtains, which is not what you want to do to anybody. If I'm hungover and you pop open the curtains like this, (laughs) Kitty, Auntie Sarah is not going to be pleased with you. But... (laughs) Aurora gasp and then Aurora goes ah <laughs> so funny the curtains child close them I beg you the sunlight hurts and then it just shows that she's suffering she's very pale you know like her um, mm-hmm. color drained from her face just you know not looking good looking like she's had a rough bunch of nights and Kitty, of course, notices that and mentions her grandma when she was sick the last time, which is just like, what? you? Oh, I don't know. There's kind of morbid or like a little bit um, unsettling to just like mention that. But yeah. I guess it makes sense. She well, like Wolverine basically told her that like Storm is maybe dying. So it makes sense that that's kind of what Kitty is thinking about. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, too, because there's always so many kind of off-the-cuff references to these major dramas in Kitty's life that you never totally get explained. They Even as much as they do flesh her out, they're kind of like, well, she's more interesting with the X-Men, so let's just focus on X-Men stuff. But you hear more about her sometimes where you're like, yeah, tell me about your Jewish grandma who died, you know, the last, and you saw her like the last time. These are kind of 
more like these aren't really stories that will pop up in a comic but it's interesting that they reference them right because it's like you're Mm -hmm. never gonna have time to tell that story that's never gonna get fleshed out but it does kind of flesh out the panel right because kitty is obviously just like very concerned about storm and you can see storm being concerned about herself as well and just being like i don't remember being sick like this ever you know I also want to mention like the page layout here because this is like 11 panels Mm -hmm. in one page which is so many. It reads really well like I think part of that is the lettering that it flows well but it's also like kind of cinematic in a way like you kind of kind of see the camera going like back and forth between Kitty and Storm then doing close-up going out and when there's a bunch of panels on one page it can like look really bad a lot of the time but here it, it works well. Yeah, I love the the layout as well. And it really does work. The sketchier style of art, you know, it, it works. It does tell a perfect vampire story, I think. And especially like people are always saying like when a scene is just two characters talking, like it can be hard to make that um, look dynamic visually. And that is pretty much what most of this scene is, is Kitty and Storm talking. But they, uh, Bill Sinkavich is really good at making it look mm-hmm. good. Yeah, I think it, yeah, I mean, these the body language between these two is really fascinating, I think, through this whole scene. There's like shadows, kind of half of Storm's face is in shadow, and it looks cool. Yeah, and you can tell that Kitty... Through through the magic of thought bubbles, which is another thing that has more or less gone the wayside in comics, they pop up every now and again. But yeah, you can tell that Kitty knows that this is worse than Storm is making it out to be, right? Like Storm isn't really playing it off as being light or nothing, but it still is even more serious than she's letting on. The lamplight flashed on my Star of David and Aurora flinched, right? Which is this thing that she notices. At the same time, she's noticing that Storm is wearing a scarf that has a, a D <laughs> in yellow. Like it's a black scarf that has D and calligraphy. Like monogrammed with yeah. the- initial (laughs) comical but this is just a little thing that dracula left her it's so funny but yeah kitty is concerned and then she sees that you know storm has this weird reaction immediately kitty goes aversion to sunlight religious to religious artifacts anemia dreams this is ridiculous what am i thinking Aurora. I love it because it's it's so real. I don't really know who the target audience for this comic was, but I can I can see Kitty kind of being the like audience surrogate of being like I I know these <laughs> these things. It's like a vampire from the stories yeah. I read. But Kitty is like, but how can that be true? But she still is like she thinks that that might be the case. Yeah, I love the narration that continues, which is. With the night comes a fog to Blanket Greenwich Village. (laughs) One that seems almost alive as it swirls through eerily deserted streets to concentrate about a... (laughs) See, Claremont, the way that you write sometimes, it's just like on purpose tongue-tying. So, okay. 
one that seems almost alive as it swirls through eerily deserted streets to concentrate about a certain brownstone off Washington Square. Inside, Aurora stirs, rises, and once more throws open the windows to admit her lover. He does not keep her waiting. And <laughs> it's Dracula. He has a huge collar on his cape. Like, this is, like, going up above his eyebrows. Yeah, this is, <laughs> you've seen a big Dracula collar before, but this is the biggest that Dracula's <laughs> collar has ever been. And Storm looks so pretty here. She just has her big flowy hair, and she looks all, like, Lucy from mm -hmm. Dracula with her, like, flowing white dress. And it's Dracula. And his face compared to her face are wild because he mm. looks just evil and scary, and she's smiling in ecstasy with her eyes closed. Come to me, woman. <laughs> it's just so funny how he talks. <laughs> yield to my dread embrace and it's just like could you just not say dread embrace could you just say yield to my embrace even <laughs> or you know it's just like you're making this harder to like she has her eyes closed already you want her to close her ears as well to make this work all right and he um he offers her like the immortality of a goddess which is kind of fun because it's like storm used to be like revered as a goddess and so here it's kind of like a perversion of mm -hmm. that because like a vampire is just so like antithetical to who storm yeah. is right like she's someone who values all life so much and it's like well a vampire like values life in a different <laughs> way it's like for itself to consume to like eat because source, it's a vampire yeah. and it eats people and creatures i don't know if storm was a vegetarian here but like she always reads as a vegetarian Same, to me i mean I, I know definitely at a different there's some comic that like she says that she is but i don't know if it was here yet because storm is the you wouldn't expect her to like become a vampire so that's why it's so cool for her to become one in this issue yeah and it's interesting too because what he's offering her is less than what she's ever had because she's obviously worshipped as a goddess and he says i'm with a okay with a kiss i make you the bride of the prince of darkness dracula and it's just like you're just offering her to be your side piece and she's storm. like she's so much more than a bride she's storm. but that's what dracula in marvel comics dracula does not understand <laughs> women being anything but brides right <laughs> other versions of dracula whatever carmilla you know there's all kinds of different vampires in this world and vampire stories but the specific marvel version of dracula does not understand women as women as people at all <laughs> it's just like oh here's another one of my brides i'm gonna add her to my <laughs> list of brides my bride collection my collection of i put brides. them in my bride pokeballs it's, it's like oh all of my brides are calling i've got to go you know like <laughs> <laughs> and then of course hilariously our 12-year-old Kitty Pride or whatever. She's like 15 probably in this, but she comes in as full-out Van Helsing. So, so funny. Leave her alone, monster! And then Dracula just goes, Who dares? The child? I may be a kid buster, but I've helped trash nastier <laughs> villains than you. I'm an X-Man and we take care of our own. Beat it, creep, or suffer the consequences. <laughs> 
It's important to know that she has this like big hat on. It's like a cowboy hat or something. I don't really know what it has to do with Dracula, especially because it's like nighttime. So it's like there's not even any sun out. I don't really know why, but it's a great look. She has the hat and like, I don't know, like a cool jacket and she's holding this big cross in his face. He's like, oh no, the cross. And he's wait like, wait, second. it doesn't matter. Cause Jewish. It's- <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny because it's like, Kitty is literally stunned, right? Because she got her cross. She's ready to go. She still has her Star of David, of course. And what we find out, of course, is, is that because she does, because she is Jewish, because she has faith, you know, it's um, when he grabs her around her throat where her Star of David is, that actually burns his hand. And I'm just like, that's awesome. I love that. I love that it's the Star of David. And also, you never see stuff like this in comics, right? Like, there's It's such a cool reversal of the way that it usually is, yeah. right? Dracula and, like, vampire lore has such a, like, history of anti-Semitism uh-huh. being kind of a caricature of Jewish right. people. And that's part of the, like, the cross thing. But then for like Chris Claremont, who is Jewish, to be like, actually, no, it's just religious belief, like of any kind. So like her star of David would also harm him because it's like a spiritual thing that is just really cool. I think. Oh, I think it's great. This is the stuff that you really lose whenever I mean, because there's such a history, obviously, of people being like, this character's Jewish for three pages and then we'll talk about it again in 35 years or whatever. And I think that whenever they incorporate Kitty's Jewishness into her story, it's always awesome because it's always something Mm -hmm. like this where it's like, it gives her this, you know, it's not like a superpower, but it's kind of this extra, you know, how spirituality can do in real life. (laughs) You know, I guess, as I've said before, I'm an atheist. I've always been an atheist. It's just how it is. But it's like, I also still have a recognition of the power of spirituality and what an incredibly positive thing it can be for people seeing this story seeing it be this as you said a subversion of kind of the and and to be clear dracula is like the jewish tropes but then there's also you know um british uh anti-refugee sentiments you know like Mm -hmm. uh orientalism there's like you know anti-gay it's all it's all that all the strange ones (laughs) off to the side or whatever right which is why lesbians like vampires so much but yeah (laughs) it's if just a fascinating thing but there's often dracula is like um played by white characters or you know there's it's the queerness of the character is kind of washed away but if you read the book it's like oh he's like really into (laughs) jonathan But, you know, there's a lot of things with vampire lore that kind of we lose to universality where it's just like, oh, this is an everything story. And usually whenever it's an everything story, that means it's white people, right? Straight people, (laughs) etc. Oh, this is this. Everybody could relate to this. And it usually just means like predominantly white people can relate to this, etc. Straight people, you know. So I think that it is just this touch is truly a masterwork in this story. And it's not just unique 
unique in comics, but it's also unique in vampire lore, right? That like the Jewish character's mm-hmm. faith is actually damaging to the vampire. You know, I just I find it just to be fascinating across the board. So I'm glad that this is in this comic. It's something that probably the first time I saw it, I didn't think about it as much. And as time has gone on, I feel like I've really just grown to appreciate this scene more and more, you know, the more vampire mythos you read and like the more you get into it and the le- the more you see that this commentary really doesn't exist. It's just nice for, you know, just to have this and to have, you know, Kitty, anytime Kitty's faith comes into the story, I just think it's awesome. I'm like, let just let her celebrate. I mean, we don't see it <laughs> like really hardly at all. Yeah. And I also kind of like that her other superpower here is kind of just like being a huge nerd Mm -hmm. and like reading all these like (laughs) fantasy stories and like knowing all the vampire lore from it. Because she's Chris, right? She's Chris Claremont. Yes. She's like, I love Kiss and I love, you know, I love the band Kiss. I love uh, all of these kind of sci-fi novels and stuff. Yeah, so that just is cute and makes me happy. I agree. It doesn't flatter or impress storm who punches her in the face (laughs) none may harm my lord kitten not even you forget me child and pray that we never meet again and kitty's like aurora they fly off together they fly away which is kind of cool that like dracula is retreating from kitty pride Mm -hmm. like that's that's something if i was kitty and i was like at a bar i would tell girls that like when i was 13 i made dracula scared and he ran away do you ever do you like ever just there's like this absence of stories where kate is just like flirting with girls at bars right like there's like this hole in our collective hearts i guess there's just this hole in x-men story overall because Everything that I understand about Kitty, she's totally a character that is going to tell that story to flirt with (laughs) girls at a bar, right? This is just who she is. Maybe it's just because I read mechanics that I think this, but... (laughs) Especially in her um, Captain Pride era, right? Like, where she's, like, doing the pirate stuff. And she was going to gay bars in issue two. Like, they go to, like, a gay bar in Japan and, like, dance. So it's like, of course she'll be doing this. I don't understand what people like about Kitty sometimes because I'm like, if she's not the rowdy gay pirate that loves, <laughs> you know, sci-fi novels and has read like every bad sci-fi novel from the 70s, <laughs> then who is she, right? Like, I'm just like, yeah. if she's not that, then who is she? If Kate isn't the bad move one night stand, but you're still friends forever person, you know, it's just... This is Mm -hmm. the character that I think the X-Men really need. And a lot of times it feels like writers and editorial really just get in the way of her being realized, which is kind of the same with Rachel. I feel like they kind of were the same on that, where it's just like, yeah, I don't know. Ilyana is like easy to assume that she's queer and for it not to play that big of a role, I guess, and part of her story other than in my head canon where it's like I'm clearly reading this about a queer character right but with Kitty and Rachel they were both where it's like their story is worse when you don't acknowledge their queerness right it's just like they're less interesting as characters because it does play a part in who they are and who my idea of them is I guess 
And like I said, I just, I don't know who Kitty is unless she's wearing a pirate jacket flirting with girls. Like, I just don't know who she is. <laughs> like, what yeah. what do people like about her? <laughs> Kitty hasn't, as far as I know, hasn't had, like, a love interest, like, since, like, around when she broke up with Piotr and, like, the Krokoa era started. And I kind of wonder, it feels to me kind of like a a compromise where it's like, well, she can't date girls, but, like, everybody hates it when she dates these random men. So we're just not going to have her date anybody for several years. Yeah, same as Ilyana, kind of, right? Where it's just like, oh, she just doesn't date anybody, I guess. (laughs) And it's like, okay. Yeah. And it's like, well, like there are people who don't date anybody and mm-hmm. like they're happy and it's fine. But I, I, I saw what Kitty and Ileana had going on. You can't fool me. It's just like, these are who the characters are. Just let them be interesting. I'm tired of worse stories. Because the worst story is to have her date another boring dude who doesn't appreciate her. Like, that's the worst story. And we've seen that story 15 times. And that's why it's the worst story, because we've seen it 15 times. It never ends. My favorite story about the Kitty and Piotr relationship is literally the one shot that Greg Rucka wrote about um, Kitty mourning Piotr, thinking that she's seen him, but then having to, like, come to terms with his death. And it's really good because it brings in her like Jewish identity, but also it's good because Piotr is dead and he's not there. <laughs> I don't have to like see him. My favorite and, story yeah. is X Men Gold. Phase through the <laughs> ring. Phase through the <laughs> ring. It's like when that happened, I didn't know what anybody else's reaction was gonna be, but I stood up and was like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, I like bought it. I bought it just so that I could read it, just so that I could lose my mind. And I did, and I loved it. And it's just left a warm glow in the center of my soul ever since it happened. Because don't let her marry this guy. <laughs> like, Ace Through the Ring doing? should be slang for when a woman doesn't go through with her marriage because she's gay. <laughs> Face through the ring. Face through the ring. Like, that's, yeah, I used to make a joke that, like, Rachel would do the, like, no, like, show it at the wedding. And, like, what she would really do is Mm -hmm. be sitting in the back, like, face through the ring. Face through the ring. Instead of what she was doing in that issue, which was basically just, like, arguing with her mom or whatever. But are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. 
Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, <laughs> Dracula's. There, this whole Central Park is lousy with Dracula's, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Belvedere it Castle. It's funny because I didn't, I didn't know that there's a castle in Central Park, but I guess there is, and they use it for like the weather or something. Surprising amount so of castles in New York, yeah. <laughs> I think it's really funny to imagine Chris Claremont like in Central Park, and he's like, he sees this castle, and he's like, I bet a Dracula could live there, <laughs> and then he writes a comic about it. <laughs> he's like, you know what? Actually, a Dracula does live there. In Uncanny <laughs> X Men number one fifty nine. Dracula's just hanging out with a bunch of wolves and they all just start attacking the X-Men. X-Men start attacking them. And also the rats, which is really funny to me because like in the Dracula novel, like he does control rats, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. And so like this takes place in New York. So it's like, well, obviously he would be controlling the rats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, As a person who actually has a true and genuine fondness for rats, I have to say that New York rats are their own class. <laughs> Dracula so Dracula and me handshake right like the handshake meme <laughs> rats <laughs> yeah but of course they're fighting 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 yeah they're fighting there's a really funny moment when Colossus and Wolverine try to do the fastball special but Wolverine just kind of falls on his face because Dracula like dissolves into mist and you hear Dracula saying ha 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 you can see his like misty face like laughing at Wolverine it's funny <laughs> yeah and then the lightning trying to hit Nightcrawler and he just keeps like bamfing but he keeps he's like if I slow down even a little bit I'm gonna die and that is just such a nightmare scenario he's like teleporting 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 you just see him going bam, that's kind of cool like I never I haven't I don't think I've read anything where like Dracula has lightning powers Mm-mm. so I don't know if he just like made this up here but like it's cool and it's like that's something that Storm would be into I guess yeah but there's another thing of like Wolverine trying to like use the cross to ward off Dracula. He's like, ha, I can tell you're an atheist. <laughs> but then Nightcrawler does it and he's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you're not an atheist. <laughs> yeah. And I just like how Wolverine and Nightcrawler are besties, even Oof. though they like have those differences, but they like respect each other's differences and that's what the x-men is all about there's another really cool page layout here yes this one just like is so cool 12 i like posted it on twitter like a couple months ago when i reread this a little while back i was like so chris claremont was like okay so you just have to draw kitty pride sneaking into the castle and then bill sinkevich (laughs) is like I'm going to end this man's entire career. Because it's like, so it starts with like Nightcrawler, like bamfing 
and like kind of trying to avoid the lightning. And it's like, meanwhile, like you see Kitty Pride sneaking into the castle and there's all these cool like angles and like, like cool like panel shapes and things. Mm-hmm. And she like finds a coffin and she um she's afraid that Storm is going to be in it and that she's going to have to like cut off Storm's head because that sucks. But then it's empty. So she just like pours yeah. holy water in it so that it won't be useful for like the vampires it's just it's so cool like he did not have to go this hard with like a page of kitty pride sneaking around a castle but it he did and it looks amazing (laughs) it looks amazing and then it really sets it up for the next page whenever she gets knocked across the room because that's more of kind of a i guess a standard layout you know for the next page this is it. I think that the best way to do experimentation with panels is to temper it with less experimental layouts. It's all these like kind of teeny tiny chopped up panels where it's like very like cramped and small and you you feel the tension. And then the next page is like a like wide panel of like full body mm-hmm. kitty getting thrown across the room. That contrast is like what makes it work. And it's just so good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even, you know, at this stage of his career, this is like absolute masterwork stuff. It's really good. And the fight, of course, Storm shows up and is, you know, Kitty is convinced that she's probably about ready to have to kill Storm. <laughs> but then the the twist. Well, Kitty is seeing, Kitty is like realizing that um, Storm isn't a full vampire yet, but like her mind right. is there, even though like her body isn't. I think is I just really like Storm, like her like red eyes and like her red lipstick and oh, like yeah. her fangs. She looks oh, yeah. so cool. That would be a great Halloween costume or like a cosplay, because like there's a lot of people who will cosplay Storm, but I don't know if I've ever seen cosplay of vampire storm vampire storm i have never seen bloodstorm either which is slightly more understandable because it involves <laughs> like everything from 1998 <laughs> did but so that's slightly more understandable i don't personally want to walk around and hit huggers at a convention all day but <laughs> this is a perfect costume because it's so chill like you'd be able to you know there's a lot of breathing room in this dress so yeah, I don't know. It's a good one. It also looks, I've been, oh my God, I've been guesting on my friend's podcast about Doctor Who, uh, straight out of Gallifrey. And the, it's, there's a kind of a, an offshoot series of that that's called Critical Gallifrey and Theory. And on that, uh, the character Romana has this, uh, her first and last appearance when she's portrayed by the actor Mary Tam. There's another Romana afterwards. But when she's uh, portrayed by Mary Tam, she's wearing this, like, gorgeous white dress that looks kind of just like this one. And I was like, I want to cosplay Romana. I could pull this off. And (laughs) it's just like, oh, Storm's already cosplaying Romana here. Um, (laughs) But she's also kind of cosplaying like Lucy. She's cosplaying like, you know, gothic romance heroines. Like, it's a a good look for Storm. And um, I agree with you, like a very underplayed one. Yeah. You know what? Kitty Pride. Kitty Pride has another yet another stroke of genius this is the thing is is like this might not really rate among the best early x-men stories 
but it does rate pretty high on my list of Kitty Pride stories, and yeah. she's pretty great in this. But the genius move is is that she's you think she's about ready to go for Aurora with this stake, and then she's like, "If you want my life so badly, then take it. I won't try to stop you." And she drops the stake. It's just like, "What? Oh, because then it just like cuts away. And even this yeah. panel, I think, is great because it just shows their waist down. It doesn't show any other part. It just shows the stake dropping in their feet. And it shows that they're so close together. Yeah. Like, it would it would take barely anything for Storm to, like, hurt Kitty if that's what she was going to do. But we know that she's not. Yeah, the stance is just totally ambiguous. Like, you can't totally tell what's going to happen. Then, of course, the boys are out <laughs> fighting with Dracula. Boys, come in. Stop fighting Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> so we jump to Dracula and the X-Men facing off. And then suddenly Storm is by Dracula's side. She asks him, what will you do with them, my lord? And he has his, like, hands up and claws. He's like, (laughs) them. And then Storm. I love this drawing of Storm because it's so, like, vampire woman in a comic. Like, I feel like I've seen Vampirella in this exact pose where it's kind of, like, you see she's, her boobs are there, but, like, her face is turned toward the camera and she has this, like, evil smile or laughter everybody's blood (laughs) totally yeah and so you're like oh no storm is full vampire but then you turn the page and she's zapping dracula and she's in her x-men costume and i love that we've all just accepted that she can like change her clothes like in the cartoon when she does like the lightning to change her clothes yeah it's just like yeah that's just something that storm does so we realize now that she didn't kill kitty and that kitty's gambit gambit did work and that storm has come to herself and she's fighting against Dracula because she won't let him hurt her friends and she won't hurt Kitty because she loves them. Oh my god, Storm. Yeah, and Dracula is not hot anymore anyway. So get (laughs) out of here, Dracula. And he's saying this stuff, which is basically just one one heart one mind one soul for all eternity this is it pops up so many times you are mine body and soul body and soul soul and body soul heart body (laughs) this is yeah and he's like a bat creature now like if you've seen adventure time when marceline turns into like a big bat creature it's like that works for her more than it works for him i gotta say (laughs) um Marceline, another lesbian vampire. You know, and for the longest (laughs) time wasn't. This is another one where I was just like, and the world breathes a sigh of relief when someone comes out. It was literally my first uh, femme slash shift that wasn't canon, but I was like, I know they're in love. And then when it actually happened, I was like losing my mind because I never thought it would happen, but it was so real. But like, and it, and then they, and now they're happy, and I love that. After watching, like, seasons of every time they're in a room together just being very horny and mad at each other, it's just, like, that to me, the Salty X dynamic is A+. I love Salty Xs. It's my favorite, favorite. 
<laughs> of all of the possible ways a relationship could be, the salty ex vibe is everything to me. But that is why that series was great, right? Like there was other parts of it, of course, but pretty much the I think for the impact that it had was in no small part due to that everybody wanting that relationship to go the way that it eventually did and then of course it has to be continued in the comics sometimes with shows like that it's kind of inconsistent like with xena it would be like well some episodes it's like obvious that everyone knows xena and gabrielle are in love and then other episodes they try to put like xena with aries or something but then with like adventure time it's very clear that everybody knew that what was what had happened with those two and like the kind of dynamic that they were having (laughs) i always love it but i love those too yeah they're great the comics that came from the series explores their relationship a lot more and i think that that's incredible I love what that couple did for a lot of people who are younger than me, right? Because by the time I was, I mean, by the yeah. time Adventure Time comes around, I'm just like, I lived through Xena and Gabrielle. Like, I've, I've been <laughs> around the block, my friends. But <laughs> dare I learn to hope again, you know? Dare I learn to reach out in love to this ship? And then by the time it ended, I was like, okay, now I feel safe because they came out (laughs) to each other or whatever. But, you know, it's like, you never know. Sometimes I don't want to get invested because I'm just like, no, I've been Yeah, no, I fully never thought that they would actually make it canon. Like, I was like, these these two are in love, but it's like, it's never going to happen. But then it did. Yeah, it's sometimes you're, as I say, better stories, because sometimes you're just like, who the hell else are they going to date? And then also, <laughs> like, that's the chemistry. Like, you, if uh, I don't know. I have no idea what person was watching Adventure Time and wasn't just, you know, like, that's like, where there the was chemistry an episode is. Where there was an episode about how when she was younger, Princess Bubblegum was, like, pressured into dating um, Cinnamon mm-hmm. Bun. And, like, having him be her boyfriend, and she, like, hated it. Whenever, like, Rachel has to date Nightcrawler, it's like, that's her cinnamon bun. It's just, like, the guy that you're stuck with because everyone wants you to date him, but you don't want to because you're in love with this girl. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's actually, I mean, obviously, like, through the time, even now, knowing that Rachel is out and she's with Betsy, there's a whole time period where whenever you're reading through Rachel's history, it is genuinely painful because it reminds me of whenever I still dated men in my early 20s or whatever when Rachel should be a major character Kurt says go take a nap basically Mm -hmm. and she's like okay and it's just like that's what it's like you subdue parts of yourself in this way that's very fucked up (laughs) and like it's not because it's the best parts of you you know and like that's kind of that's how I feel whenever I read those Rachel stories. We did somewhat get off of topic with this, but also I think if we're talking about lesbian vampires. This is why Mark Guggenheim will never come on Bitches on Comics. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Yeah, Mark. <laughs> You're out there. <laughs> Yep. Sorry, my friend. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but I will always praise you for that golden moment of X-Men 30. Yes. so i mean yeah this is it all just concludes in very vampire (laughs) ways 
And, you know, whatever. They give Dracula, like, an easy out, kind of, where it's just like, oh, well, I'm I'm actually dumping you, so goodbye, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> it's just, like, a silly ending, but... It's kind of romantic how, like, Dracula is like, okay, I won't kill this woman because I respect you, Storm. <laughs> he, like, flies away. It's like, okay, I can respect that, Dracula, because, like, I also would do anything for Storm. So it's like, I get it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, across the board, pretty much, we're all just like, yes, Storm, what do you need? I mean, even like the guys all sitting outside of her room, just completely depressed. Can you imagine what those conversations between those three must have been like while that was happening? Just like, I don't know, Kurt. And Kurt's just like, what are we going to do? And Colossus is just like, I miss I miss it when things were simpler. <laughs> Because it's like, you know, Colossus and Wolverine aren't talking about how they're feeling. And so Nightcrawler is just like, hey, guys, you you got anything you want to say of anything? And then they just are totally clammed up. And he's like, okay, I'll go buy some apple juice for us. And then they drink some apple juice. And then he says... Back when I was in the circus, because everything is just a segue <laughs> to a, him being like, well, whenever I was in the circus, it literally it happens at the beginning of this issue. <laughs> you were in the circus? That's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was in the circus. It's like, it's so funny to that Nightcrawler is almost prouder of being in the circus than he is of being an X-Man. Like, he's just like, well, I was in the circus, you know, big performer. And everybody's just like, yeah, but you're also like the most, one of the most famous superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> on the face of the planet, he's like, well, but I was a circus star. Kind of a Nightcrawl, or sorry, a Nightwing vibe, right? Where it's just like Dick Grayson probably yeah. would have been really happy if he had just been able to stay in the circus his whole life. Like, I probably would You know, fine. I feel like Jubilee and Nightcrawler should, like, bond over that. Because Jubilee was, like, a performer, kind of. That's like, right. She would, like, do tricks for money. And then she also was a gymnast. Like, she trained in, like, school to be a gymnast. So, like, she was never, like, a circus person. But she has those kinds of abilities. Mm -hmm. I feel like she and Nightcrawler would vibe like that. Oh, and what two fun jabbermouths that just can't shut up and are just trying to one-up each other all of the time. It seems just like a no-brainer, kind of. I need a comic where they take on the, like, the circus of crime or something. They're just, <laughs> like, favorites. swinging from trapezes <laughs> and, like, exploding people's faces. I am obsessed <laughs> with the circus of crime, and I would love this. I would love it if Jubilee just wanted to hang out with the circus of crime she's like this is a crime circus she's like i'm undercover and they're like are you though and she's like i don't know but it's fun <laughs> they're the x-men call her to be like so how's the mission going and she's like mission <laughs> yep she's just hanging out with princess python the one thing oh my god princess python <laughs> i just went on the, i know the same that. it was like let's write that comic let's write that comic right now like in this episode but <laughs> sorry the go thing ahead that i really like about this um the last page here is um well one like storms um like skin color comes back to normal from it was grayish but now it's like regular and i like that it like kind of ends with her like she and Kitty are having like a tearful reunion. They're both crying and hugging each other. And it really underscores that like how much this issue is about um, like the strength of their bond and just like how much they love each other. And I always like when a story is about two women or like female characters. It just is like 
really sweet and I it's it's good I there those two their like friendship or like relationship is like such a core such an important part of like this era of x-men comics and it's good i know and it really does fall by the wayside which is so unfortunate because there's a time period with kate where i'm just like that character doesn't exist without this relationship like storm clearly Mm -hmm. formed kitty's morality in a lot of ways and you know her ability to kind of meet people where they're at which i don't think was intrinsic to her considering how often (laughs) nothing happens and she freaks out about it right like it'll just be like oh i changed my hair and she's like don't you even care about me you know and i so i don't think it's natural to kate to accept people like that but i think that she learns it from aurora but I also think that there's something about her way of not really backing down, but doing it in a way where she verbalizes it as opposed to Wolverine. Obviously, she learns from Logan because he teaches her ninja stuff, how to fight, all of this. And, you know, she learns a thing or two about being able to, like, smoke cigars, you know, with the best <laughs> of them. It's like the friendship between her and Aurora is the one that to me is like people will be like oh Wolverine's always you know like raising teens to be fighters or whatever and it's always about kind of his characterization and I'm like what about Aurora like and Kitty like their relationship is incredible and really nuanced it really falls by the wayside and uh you know that sucks (laughs) she's they're a great match Cause like, yeah, like you said, like Wolverine and Kitty, like that was, that was important too, but it's like, that was important almost because they were so different and it wasn't such a natural like click between them. It really is Storm who is so much more, like she's so much more like the person who like helped shape Kitty into like who she is. And it's like, it it always feels like nowadays that people will prioritize kind of like the Wolverine and Kitty thing or like they'll kind of see it as more than it was and kind of forget the Storm and Kitty thing. And it does kind of feel like misogyny and racism a little bit Mm -hmm. of just kind of of just kind of ignoring that or just forgetting that it happened when it is so much of like those comics. And it's so much of Storm's story too because I think Mm -hmm. meeting Kitty especially at the time that she meets because of course we are still covering the dark phoenix saga we'll you know come back next (laughs) month we'll be back on dark phoenix stuff but the idea of though the idea of aurora being so profoundly wrecked by jean's death and then really centering herself by being kind of a mentor kind of a friend to kitty I think that that's very important because whenever Storm starts to lose her way, you know, we see the rogue Storm story, she starts to kind of lose her way. And the way that she brings herself back to Earth, like literally and metaphorically, is that she thinks of Jean as Phoenix and she's just like, it hurt me so much to lose her. But having someone like Kitty around allows Storm to kind of reshape the narrative of someone who's young, powerful, but that she can kind of be like, hey, don't become Dark Phoenix. (laughs) Here's how not to become Dark Phoenix. 
you know, like, I'll be here with you. It gives her the opportunity to be there for somebody in a way that I just don't think she was able to. And she couldn't even imagine being for Jean at that time, because we've talked a little bit about their dynamic and how Jean was kind of the elder statesman for a hot second there. Right. So Storm loves Jean as a friend, but then there is kind of like, well, Jean's also been doing this much longer than me. Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't equate it. Like, I don't think that Kitty is on the same level as Storm. You know, like, it's like they were at different stages in their emotional growth and all of this. But I do think that just being able to reshape the narrative with Kitty as someone who she's there for and is responsible to, I just think that that's massively important for Storm's characterization as well. Whenever people actually care about Storm's characterization. And you also like, you look at Storm's like childhood and it's like, she spent a lot of it alone, right? Like she had a mentor in Cairo who like helped her become a thief, but it's like, she like walked across like the continent by herself. She kind of wasn't, she didn't have parents, right? She was an orphan. And it's like, well, Kitty has parents, but they can't help her with these things that are so outside their wheelhouse. And so it's like she can like be a mentor for Kitty and like be there for Kitty in a way that nobody was really there for her when she was so young. Mm-hmm. And it is important. I think and so. And then it's too. also it's also important a little bit later when Storm kind of takes a step back and is like, Kitty, like I'm not your mom. Mm-hmm. I can like change my hair and do things and like it's not about you but like we we're still friends but like it's not like that there's just so much complexity to that like relationship I think so yeah and it's very important for both of them comically I have to point out that at the end of this issue Wolverine is drinking a beer that says great white north eh (laughs) (laughs) Canadian Canadian you goddamn Canadian, (laughs) this guy. And then, of course, Moira hops on the phone and she's like, oh, it's a disaster. I'm not a mutant. It's a disaster. (laughs) And so (laughs) then whatever. This is nothing. It doesn't matter. It goes into the next story, et cetera, et cetera. However. It's just always funny when Moira is Moira shows up because (laughs) I believed her. That's what burns me about Moira. It was like, I spent years reading comics with you where I was fully willing to suspend my disbelief and just assume that you just about liked. a billion degrees. Yeah, you had all of these degrees and you just cared about mutants that much. And that's why I'm on Destiny's side. <laughs> and she's just like, actually, you seem super bad for mutants. So I'm just going to burn you on the beach. And Moira's like, no. Do you no. think Moira ever hung out with Dracula in any of her lives? I or she doubt was just it. Like- <laughs> it just seems like Dracula would not be. It's like, I mean, what would Moira even do? Moira, I mean, I worry for Dracula, frankly. Like, at this point, you know, Moira would be yeah. 10 steps ahead of this man. But she's like, wives, huh? I'm not going to be added to your stable of wives, my friend. Um, you know, if nothing else, Moira is not going to be added to a stable of wives. <laughs> like, Although, anyway. I guess if she became undead, then she couldn't die and have a next life. So. Yeah. How know. would that work? <laughs> Nobody answered that question. 
So yeah, this story Hickman. continues. <laughs> in, in a, yeah, come back, Hickman. This story continues in a annual, X-Men annual number six. Basically, it's just kind of the fallout. You said you didn't read this story. That's totally cool. I'm just going to real quick dust over the random things that happen here. We're introduced to Professor Rachel Van Helsing, who is a vampire. That's like the twist of the issue. So, you know, sorry if <laughs> if somebody was just now going in. But it starts out with basically Rachel, Dracula, they're saying enigmatic things to each other. And then, of course, similarly to this issue, Kitty cannot read the room. She comes in throwing a full out temper tantrum because her parents are getting divorced to the point that all of the X-Men are like, what's happening? And they're just like, oh, Kitty's just mad. It's like, hey, people, good Lord. That's what Scott says. But and literally Kitty's just like, so, OK, Storm says, Kitten, it's not the end of the world. And Kitty says, it's the end of my world. <laughs> Kitty, they promised Aurora. They said they'd patch things up between them and that they'd give their marriage a second chance. They lied. They lied. <laughs> I love it because so much in fandoms, people will be like, oh, this teenage girl character is so annoying. But it's like, that's just how teenagers are. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, yeah, she's out of control here. She's There's like a wild panel where she's like, I hate you both. I hate you. And she looks kind of like Phoenix. It's very intense. But basically, long story short, Storm comes back as a vampire, bites Kitty, throws her on the ground, bites Colossus, throws him on the ground, goes through the whole X-Men, bites them all, throws him on the ground, and turns into, you know how Dracula turned into a weird bat creature? So Storm turns mm-hmm. into one, too, but with, like, white hair, mm-hmm. wild, and then her and Dracula, of course, make out. She wakes up, horrified bright lady be praised i didn't kill all the x-men and then it all turns into she comes face to face with rachel van helsing rachel van helsing was once the enemy of dracula you see but once she became a vampire that was no longer on the table now they're allies maybe dating who knows and uh they try to get storm back she doesn't end up going back kitty is Kitty just spends this whole story extremely dramatic. And there's some flashbacks to Storm's early life. It's all just Vampire Storm Part 2, basically. Like, very irritated by Dracula because she's just like, ugh, why are you here again? And he's just like, because I'm your shitty ex. (laughs) I have to come back as your shitty ex. (laughs) Yep. And it's basically just that Rachel gets to have a heroic moment where she turns on Dracula and she's just like, guess the fuck what? Like, now I'm free of you too, Dracula. And Dracula's like, no. And Kitty occasionally gets possessed by Lilith the vampire. Uh, It's just like kind of (laughs) just a lot going on in this story, but probably not quite as good as the first one. But it's essentially just like if you if you were like, wow, what's the sequel of this issue? Like it's this (laughs) story, basically. Yeah, I also wanted to mention a year before Uncanny X-Men 159, there was um, published in one of the like uh, Marvel magazines where they would have kind of like, uh, it was like black and white printed and it was like um, anthologies kind of, they would have like some comics and short stories and things. There was a Chris Claremont um, comic about um, Misty Knight and uh, Colleen Wing and it was Mm -hmm. like, 
Misty's childhood best friend comes comes to town, but she's like totally different from what Misty remembers. She's like all cool and fancy, and then she like <laughs> turns Misty into a vampire. She like turns someone into a vampire, and she's like kind of going around being a vampire. And Misty Knight's like, "Oh no, I need to I need to defeat the vampire, even though she was my old friend." And there's like a thing where the she's trying to seduce Misty into becoming a vampire. Mm-hmm. Tire, but like the thing that breaks her free of it is like thinking about how much she loves Colleen and like needs to save Colleen and so mm-hmm. it's it kind of feels like a like a rough draft of this story or like kind of a precursor to it because it's yes. it's interesting it's like very sexy like it's a lot more lesbian vampire than this one was honestly mm-hmm. um and just something about like having a black female vampire is I guess maybe was on Claremont's mind. It was I don't know, it's cool. I think it would probably be hard to track down because I just found it in like a random magazine that I bought. Right. It was like bizarre adventures or something. I yeah, think. It, I think it might have been I believe that one. it was it was recollected at a certain point because I think that how I read it was through and and uh, through a collection. I'm pretty sure you can read it on Marvel Unlimited, but I don't know 100%, so let's pretend I never told you that you could do that. (laughs) If you end up in a rabbit hole on Marvel Unlimited, it's not my fault, but... Yeah, I don't know. I I was going to say, too, that this was simply the time. So Vampril is happening. We have Satana. There's just a Last lot. Last year, I met um, Chris Claremont at New York Comic Con. I asked him about that one specifically because I was just curious if he, like, remembered it because it's so obscure. He was like, oh, yeah, the Misty Night Vampire one. He just, like, looked kind of embarrassed. And he was like, there was just a lot of vampire stuff in that time. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Particularly lots of very sexy lesbian vampires. This was like lesbian vampire exploitation central, right? And you know he was watching those movies. And you know I was watching them too. Again, me, horny straight men, handshake, right? Like, not all of the time. <laughs> not every time. But like, often. It's just like, you want to see this lesbian vampire movie? Like, Connor texted me about how his dad was listening to the Madeline episode. And whenever I say that I love the movie Fascination, he was like, spit take, I love that movie too. And I was just like, yep, (laughs) sounds about right. So true, Connor's dad. (laughs) I know, so true, Connor's dad. So now we're on Mutant X. And I wanted to mention also, this was the first Mutant X issue that I read. Most of them looked boring to me, but this one had Kitty like threatening to stab Vampire Storm. I was like, that looks cool. And it's kind of a cool issue because it's um very like self-contained. Cause like the series is about Alex Summers, but like he's not even in this issue. It's just about Kitty yeah. hunting down Vampire Storm. I, I just I like these kinds of self-contained um stories about kind of maybe more minor characters. So I read that issue and I was like, yeah, I don't think I need to read any more Mutant X. I think that one is good. <laughs> so I haven't really read any more mostly. But No, yeah. see, this is where I'm gonna sell you on Mutant X. <laughs> <laughs> because Mutant X actually for me, X Factor was a mess. The last bunch of issues of X Factor was mm-hmm. an absolute mess. It's I still had a fondness for it. I was reading every single X-Men title whenever I was a teenager, right? This is post-Onslaught. But I was on (laughs) my way out. Like, there was a... 
once the Alan Davis run was about halfway and we're into the 12, that was when Mm -hmm. I left comics for a little while because I was like, I don't Mm -hmm. think I can do it anymore, guys. But whenever Mutant X came out, this is when I was still genuinely very excited about the X line, right? So I was like, hell yeah. I don't know much about Havoc other than he's been evil in X Factor for the last 30 issues. And I had read him in Factor X. So I knew him as like a little shithead, basically. And then he does Mutant X. And to me, that was where I clicked with the character because I was like, Mm -hmm. I get you now. You're a wife guy, first of all, for sure, because he was married to Madeline and that. And Madeline, of course, is dealing with Goblin Queen stuff. But Madeline actually has a more heroic arc there in Mutant X because even though like there's, you know, a hundred things going on and she doesn't necessarily have a happy ending, she has at least a more self-defined story in that than she gets in 616, right? Famously mm. now. It's a really good story. I like Havoc a lot in it. I like the different takes on the different characters because they're all a little bit more messed up, right? It's like the mm. world where they're all a little more fucked in the head. And so you have Bobby Drake Iceman still in the closet, but... Mm he's kind of lost his way right and to me that's bobby in the closet if it goes to its extreme like if it goes for years and years i read like the first issue and he was dating someone and like i remember whoever he was dating i was like that's so weird and funny that he's dating that person i don't remember remember who it was was. isn't it like it's somebody like from fantastic four or something like i mean it would be funny if it was crystal right um (laughs) (laughs) my favorite Yes, got a crystal reference in. I wish, I wish we could just do the crystal podcast. But I love that character. But every time I'm just like, what bad decision has this character made? And I'm just like, wouldn't it be funny if Crystal just walked into the door right now? Just being like wearing a t-shirt that says, God bless my haters, right? But... I love this woman. I love this woman. But yeah, no, for sure. It would be something like that. I don't Lasting remember what the Taylor character is Swift either. on her iPhone. <laughs> she would love Taylor Swift. But see, here's the thing. I have some minute headcanon around Crystal. And one of the things that I believe about her is, is that while she loves modern pop music, she also has an appreciation for the kids, the old classics. And she is an audiophile. So whenever somebody puts a record on a turntable, she's just like, you have the settings wrong. (laughs) And goes in, (laughs) fixes their record player, totally calibrates it for them, replaces the needle, and then is just like, you need to get this record on 180 gram because this is the mass market, mass produced copy of this. But I got to tell you, after... Foreman with Beards re-released it. It was just like, mm, I heard it for the first time. Like, this is like the soundscape of my dreams. She's smoking weed. She's on a sofa. Like, this is how I view her. Luna's in bed, right? Like, this is how I view Crystal. And this is why I could write a 700-issue Crystal comic. This is such a new headcanon. It's it's what, because it's like, I have to love her, right? Like, I have to love Crystal. 
I just have to as a person. It's who I am. So the way that I love her is by giving her these weird little like unique traits, right? (laughs) That are just like, she wears t-shirts that have like total like goofy slogans that are all just like weird, like a Taylor Swift song title. Yeah, like everything, (laughs) that kind of thing. She goes jogging. Whenever people are talking to her, she like spaces out a little bit. And then she's just like, I'm sorry. I was just thinking about like whenever I was living in my divorce. My family's like weird. <laughs> yeah, my my constant divorce that never seems to end. But <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. All right. Well, I'm gonna get we gotta move on because otherwise I'm just gonna give away all of my pitches for my 700 <laughs> crystal series. But <laughs> This is a fun cover. It annoys me that the women don't have like tummies because it's like, that's not what women look like. Like I know what they look like and it's not that, but it's the 90s or like 2000 or something. So what can you expect? everybody's wearing hip huggers and the hip huggers are I remember this era for fashion (laughs) this was whenever I realized that I would simply not be fashion because I was just Mm. like okay I'm gonna wear like old skirts and stuff and dresses I cannot I will never be able to do hip huggers my body is simply not built that way and then we, as a culture we kind of followed it up with skinny jeans and I also can't wear Mm. skinny jeans A lot of things have steered me away from wearing jeans in my life. (laughs) This era of comics does not represent me. But I got to say, yeah, it's very gay. This is an incredibly gay follow up. I've, I, you know, I mean, yeah, she turns them into, um, I'm like, how would you even describe it? Because it's like, I want to say like servants, I guess, in a way, like the her thralls, I guess. But really, it's like she's just dating Kitty and forge in a way that she's like don't you don't call anybody while I'm gone like (laughs) don't talk to anybody else and they're like we don't want to talk to anybody else we're like here for you like the kind of fun thing about um this issue is like it has a framing device of like kitty um she's like written a letter to Piotr her fiance and it's like I I have to go and do this thing and I may not come back. I just I like it because it their relationship is doomed and I always like when their relationship is doomed because I don't <laughs> like him. It's like I like him. I don't like him in context of Kitty at all, right? Yeah. But it's like that. It only makes sense because he's a better character whenever he's just a fuckboy artist who falls yeah, in yeah. love and out of love. Like that's just a better character. But I and like who's always just like, I miss my home and my family and I just am never going to get to go back there, you know, because he can't. He never will. Even if he goes back to Russia, he can't go back home and he can't be who he was. But he misses it. And I like that about him. But Um, so this issue is kind of an alternate take on the one we were just talking about, Um, because it's Kitty. Yeah, it is. It's a lot like a what if story because it's Kitty going to um, get Storm, who Storm was taken about a week ago um, by Dracula, and now um, Kitty is like going on a solo rescue mission with like all these weapons and stakes and things, and she's like, "I'm gonna get her back." 
but I am prepared to kill her. And like Kitty here is an adult, which is, I think, pretty crucial. And like <laughs> a big difference of like how things go down differently here versus like in the main universe. Yeah, because in that last story, she's like 13. Yeah, everything in this universe is a little bit darker and kind of sadder. Like, you meet, like, Warren and, and he's going... <laughs> like, everybody, everybody's, <laughs> he... like, hooking up and having bad <laughs> decisions, and I kind of like it. Yeah, it's like if, if X-Men was on the CW, kind of. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's a good way of describing you next. <laughs> it's oh, like the Riverdale this... of X-Men. <laughs> This issue is titled The Hunger, which I like because mm-hmm. it's like that vampire movie I was talking oh, about earlier. Like, are you referencing something here? Should I be taking a <laughs> vibe from this? And it's like, yeah, you should definitely be taking a vibe from this because the vibe is there and it's there throughout Mutant X because we see Kitty and Forge brooding in Storm's beautiful house. <laughs> Like, absolutely beautiful house. Multiple uh, times. I assume and this, this was, um, this was, like, Dracula's house or castle. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's Storm's house now. But. When the issue starts, it's, like, Storm kind of trying to fight against her, like, oncoming, like, vampirism. Mm-hmm. Like, she's, like, she catches a rat and she wants to eat it, but then she's, like, no, I won't. And then she, like, screams because she's being tortured by her, like, vampiric instincts. And then we see Forge. <laughs> Do you want to describe Forge here? I can't because I don't have the issue in front of me, but I can tell you that Forge in this universe, from everything that I remember, is just the bleakest dude who's just, like, whatever you want, Storm. And it's, like on his way on his way to the grave from what i can tell yeah i'm looking at the issue and so he's like um chained to a wall like hanging by his wrists and he's not wearing anything except for these tiny jeans but they're like frayed so it's like barely covering anything he has like a six pack because i guess he's starved so that's not a six pack but it's like you can see the muscle definition and it's just like He's very like naked and sad and starving. And this issue, because like Forge is here, it almost kind of reminds me of life death. Because there's mm-hmm. like a part where Kitty says something about Storm is caught between life and death. Mm-hmm. And it's like Forge is here. And it's this is a story about Storm kind of like having a turning point in her life and coming into her own in a different way. So it kind of feels like an alternate um, take on life death, which was the like iconic issue of Storm after she's lost her powers and she's like living with Forge and she's in like a romantic relationship with him. So that kind of interested me. It's written, this one is written by uh, Ben Robb, who I don't, I feel like he's written a lot of X-Men stuff, but nothing that I've super remembered well. You know, because he's kind of stuck on, like, uh, Crimson Dawn miniseries or Last Days of Excalibur type stuff, you know. He's done a lot of fill-ins. This is also a fill-in. The regular writer was Howard Mackey, but 
the, this is uh, kind of, as you said, is a standalone story, right? I'm just having a flashback of being a teenager and having a mom who didn't think I should be reading comics and being like, let's not show her this one. <laughs> like, this one better stay under the pillow. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Ben Robb also wrote for like the CW like Arrow shows or like the Arrowverse shows. It is the it is that CW. <laughs> I think he was like writing on The Flash maybe. Um, I just like remember that name maybe. I feel like he's a pretty solid writer that just was asked to take on some pretty <laughs> brutal like tie up these loose threads type stories in the mm. x-men in the 90s and uh therefore his stuff doesn't necessarily age great but i think he had potential and at least he read the comics i definitely always got that even in this yeah. you're just like you read those comics you know the <laughs> storm becoming a vampire comics also as i said these characters have been introduced before in this series, but this is just kind of a breakaway to be like, so this is how yeah. this all came to be, right? Yeah, it says that this is like something that happened several years ago. Yeah. So this is like backstory. And I'm so like Forge is, he says that he's here to be food for um, <laughs> a Storm, like for Storm to feed on him. And I'm looking at this art and I just realized that he's covered in like vampire bite marks, which is kind of wild. And kind of like sexual like it's kind of like saint sebastian being like pierced by all those arrows or whatever but storm is like i won't eat you i will stay true to my non-violent self I'm gonna eat and like forge is like but not the rest of you <laughs> <laughs> forge is like yeah i don't think so but good luck Mm-hmm. he's like actually i've already lost that faith in you because i've been watching you <laughs> But Kitty does not succeed in this story at all. But <laughs> Yeah, there there's a part where Storm Forge is like, you might be able to escape like through that door. And so Storm is like whoosh and she whooshes it open and she like um is like trying to escape. Like she takes Forge in her arms and she's like super tempted to drink out of his neck, but she's like, no. I must not. And she like flies away with him like bridal in her arms, bridal carrying. And then we cut to Kitty at like the door of the castle. And it's really funny because she's descended on by three vampires. It's like two vampire women and like I guess one vampire guy. And it's kind of funny because it's a very like Dracula's three brides thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like, it's Kitty. So it's like one man and two women. Yeah, very bisexual. Which I think is really funny. <laughs> um, she, but she like, What am I going to do with all of down. my wives and one <laughs> Yeah. But she's like easy peasy. She just takes them down. She's like, Storm, where are you? And so finally it's Kitty versus storm and you know who wins yeah no it's not kitty wins because yeah it's one of those stories where it's like well we already know the the ending because we've been reading this series um so we and know there's like this panel where kitty tackles storm like with her crotch kind of mm -hmm. so she's like on top of storm straddling her like about yeah. to drive a stake through her and Storm is like, she's she's like begging her to do it. She's like, kill me before it takes over. 
Katie is like, no, I can't do it. And then Storm is evil now. And so she uses her, like, vampire fog powers to, like, go inside Kitty's, like, nose, like, with mm-hmm. her fog and, like, choke her, which is kind of wild. Yeah. Um, but and then Kitty's like, no, it's evil Storm. I have to kill her now. But Storm is like, ha, you can't do that. And so she, like, she, like, hypnotizes her here. Do you remember this? Um, I, what I was gonna say is, is that I, you, the scene that you're describing right now is so burned into my memory (laughs) (laughs) because I was a teenager reading this and a gay teenager to boot. And (laughs) so I remember that scene specifically so vividly, like it will never leave my mind. I remember Kitty being like, I'm going to go take care of storm i'm prepared to do what i need to do and then at the end being just like actually i guess i'm just gonna be her uh food (laughs) (laughs) but tell me how we get there because i don't remember what follows this i remember the fight between them and just being like my uh listeners cannot (laughs) see my my face but i basically just covered my mouth with my hands (laughs) like (laughs) yeah (laughs) So it's like Storm and Kitty fighting again, but this time it's like Storm is full evil and Kitty's like, oh no, and they're fighting. And then Storm hits her with the like glowing eyes and she says, come to me, girl. Mm. And then Kitty is like transfixed, her eyes are wide open and they're like blue or something. It's like she's being mesmerized. She's like, your eyes. And... It has the, like, caption boxes of, like, her um, letter to Piotr. So it's, like, over this one mm-hmm. is, P.S., if I don't make it back alive. And then there's the next panel where, like, Storm has her arms wide open to greet Kitty. And Kitty is just, like, slowly walking towards her. And then the caption is, goodbye, Piotr. <laughs> and then there's the full, like, splash page, splash page of Storm embracing kitty and kitty is like totally like her leaning forward kind of like her chest leaning forward at storm who's like biting into her neck it's very dramatic embrace and the caption there is i love you so (laughs) yes okay so picture me 16 (laughs) a, a child an infant one might say. <laughs> Did this comic make me gay? This is the question. Was, is it a chicken or the egg thing? Was it the comic existed and so I existed? Or did I exist and then the comic had to exist? What happened that made the other thing happen? And or is it simply a copacetic thing? The comics that I read didn't make me gay, but perhaps I made the comics that I read gay, right? So true. <laughs> <laughs> so that's basically this comic for me. I, I think that um, this might... No, never mind. I was going to say this might be my introduction to lesbian vampires, but it, it was not. There was a uh, vampire, bad, cheesy vampire movie from the 80s that was um not vamp but i think it was called like the kiss 
And uh, it's like, you know, vampire as kind of like a AIDS allegory, but Mm -hmm. very, very badly handled. And I haven't watched it again in forever. So, I mean, I might look back on it and be like, actually, this is a goddamn masterpiece, but I doubt it. But I watched it as a kid and there's just a scene, I think, of a vampire kissing a woman or like maybe by just I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like very like a moment where I was like, I think this is my favorite film. (laughs) This is actually goddamn masterpiece. You know, it was like you like whenever this is art (laughs) as like a five year old or whatever. And then (laughs) later this, you know, and a number of, you know, kind of uh, started to pick up lots of lesbian vampire stuff after this. But I think that this is one of my introductions to the idea of a queer vampire, because I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that this is played pretty queer. But yeah, it's like and, and it is different from the last one. The, the last one, I think, when we were talking about how how important it is to their relationship and their friendship and all of this and how like they're kind of mentor or like she's a storm is a mentor to kitty and all of this. Whereas in this it's more kitty's older and maybe they have had a different relationship, I guess, but there's not a ton of ambiguity around. Yeah, it no, it's, like, it's very. Like, it's like it, this. Yeah. It's and even just, like, Cause so this comic ends with like Piotr like angrily chopping down a tree shirtless and Nightcrawler like comes over <laughs> and he's like, I'm really sorry about what happened. And Piotr like shows him a ring and he's like, see, I was going to propose to Kitty, but now it's too late. And like, so like the thing with like Kitty's going after Storm and that being compared to like her like relationship with like her fiance and kind of like her detour with Storm kind of like making that future with Piotr impossible is very queer too. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, I don't know which is worse because I wouldn't want you to marry this guy. <laughs> you know, it's like he's feeding on you in a different way. But I think too that it's interesting. This we we talked about the first story and how it's kind of not very queer actually except for all the stuff that's queer about it just intrinsically being a storm story mm-hmm. being a kitty pride story being a vampire story there there yeah. isn't actually and i guess like the part the roommates thing so there's like queer <laughs> like notes to it but this i think is like an openly queer story yeah but it's kind of interesting because it's almost it it, it in in turn it becomes kind of its own fan fiction of old x-men comics or something where it's oh, like yeah what if I, this happened or whatever i didn't think about it that way but that yeah it's just it's a fascinating story i mean it's hard to look at a at a as two characters like storm and kitty and be like I ship it because obviously I read their comics in the 80s whenever they were just sisters and Kitty was really young and all of this. You know, Storm wasn't like a lot older, but she was older than Pietro, right? So she is in a different realm. It was just a different story. 
But in this, it's kind of just like the love between them is clearly something different than it is in the Uncanny X-Men comics. And it's kind of interesting because like, I think we see in the flashback that like Storm has to be a little bit older than Kitty, but like in the art when they're fighting, like they do look about the same age. So I, you know that like Storm is a little bit older, but so much in vampire stuff, it is like an age thing of like the way older vampire, like seducing like a youngster. And that's, it doesn't really feel like that's the vibe here, which like it should, it's Kitty is about to be married or like she has a fiance say and like it, right. it just doesn't super feel like that is the story and she she doesn't come across as a child like that's kind of mm-hmm. the difference because even in the uncanny x-men stories you read it kitty is clearly a kid right like that's part of the charm of that story <laughs> is mm-hmm. that you have kind of a bumbling teenager just sort of like thrown into the mix as the Van Helsing of the story. And that's what's awful like when you see her being like thrown around like slapped by Dracula or Storm is like she's just a kid like you feel bad that that's happening to her but um it so it's like that is super relevant but yeah it's not it's different here because it's also like why are you going alone kitty you know like there's Mm -hmm. just kind of a lot of interesting subtext to this i guess but also a lot of interesting text i mean everything that you (laughs) said is all on the page and yeah you know when it comes to fiction i understand the the interest in kind of um if if there's like an age difference if there's things like that then I fully understand the idea of being like, that's messed up because I think that people don't like really interrogate this stuff enough in their actual lives. Right. So if that can help Mm -hmm. you interrogate it and power dynamics and stuff, I think that that's a good thing through these characters. However, I will note that generally the way that I have to approach a story is if there is something that I think is a little bit morally weird or like something along those lines, I kind of have to be like, but how is it being presented? And this mm-hmm. story is not being presented as an adult and a child, right? So yeah. the, the I kind of just end up having to take it like that, I guess, because it's like, well, we're in an alternate reality, whatever. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you change their ages, I guess, you know, or whatever. Um, maybe you were just dying. As Claremont was clearly dying to do a vampire story of some kind, <laughs> you know, you were just dying to do, like, the lesbian vampire version <laughs> of that story or whatever. Whatever. You called it literally the hunger, you know, so I know what you're doing. <laughs> I like because it's it's a short it's a pretty brief story. So we don't get super into Kitty's psyche. But like right. how you mentioned before, kind of, it's like, why are you doing it alone, Kitty? And like you do get the impression of there being kind of an obsession on Kitty's side of like going mm-hmm. after Storm. It almost feels like she is hoping to kill Storm. Like it it doesn't. Like she feels she's so resigned to the possibility. It's like she wants that violence because there's like an intimacy there, maybe. Let me kill the gay part of myself so I can marry this dude. <laughs> and you're yeah. just like, hmm, seems like there's a lot going on there. <laughs> maybe you want to interrogate that kitty. But if there's one yeah, thing that Kitty so- Bride's not going to do, <laughs> is interrogate her sexuality the way that we do, right? But I was thinking too that. 
Yeah, it's just, it's fascinating. I mean, it, it does kind of put itself on the shelf to be, here's another tome of the problematic lesbian vampire stories mm-hmm. of the world. But honestly, the X-Men needed one. And, you know, at the beginning, we were talking about maybe doing a lesbian, wait, no, sorry, a vampire. I just, it's interchangeable to me. Vampire jubilee story which is Mm -hmm. like a lesbian vampire story yeah (laughs) yeah let's be real but it's kind of to me it's it's interesting that that is something that the x-men has just very kind of like skirted around of all Mm -hmm. of the tropes and genres that we've delved into it's always just like lesbian vampires just kidding maybe they're not lesbians anyway keep it moving you know kind of thing i just i find it interesting so we'll follow Marjorie up with Lou, i'm sure tried her best oh and she I gave believe. us some good stuff there with um <laughs> jubilee and laura but yeah it like i guess maybe it's because like blade exists and so they don't want to super encroach on that because like this the like Dracula stuff was before Blade existed or no, he might've existed, but I don't know if he was doing a lot. Right. Like a Spider-Man side character. Yeah. So like there's like kind of more established vampire lore that maybe X-Men doesn't super want to get into. And Marvel is kind of action vampires, you know, it's not necessarily like horror vampires. It's not like the moody stuff. Yeah. Because even Tomb of Dracula is, it's like moody-ish, but it's an action story, you know. its It all has to fit into the Marvel way of things, right? So <laughs> it still is kind of a superhero action story. And honestly, the Mutant X story kind of isn't. It is straight up a vampire story. And uh, kind of a horror story. And I think that that's why it's really great that we talked about this. It, You know, there's more to say about Bloodstorm. <laughs> I wish that there could just be a crackle of lightning behind me whenever I say <laughs> Bloodstorm. Because yes. it just feels like there should be. But I was thinking, too, that, uh, you know, we miss her. Come home, we Bloodstorm. You are I think missed. they might have killed her off in 2018-ish, but I didn't read it, so I'm not sure if she, like, died or just kind of got knocked out or whatever. And I don't but, believe like, it if they did. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't believe you. It's like, I, I have no idea what they're doing with, like, Krakoa now, but it's like, bring Bloodstorm into the mix and let her cause problems on purpose. It would be fun. Just let things be fun without it being... <laughs> every time written by leah williams (laughs) because i feel like when (laughs) you read a fun comic most of the time it's like who wrote this oh well leah williams and then they're like well it's kind of off to the side it's not necessarily like she shoulders the burden (laughs) of fun gay shit right so (laughs) although there was the um the like teeny howard strike force with the satana briefly right well let's talk more about satana yeah no it's (laughs) my favorite another character who i have endless headcanon around um but yes and satana makes out with angela in that comic and what's up that's all I have to say. Yeah, I'm just I didn't standing read it, but off I to saw, the side like, what's up? <laughs> I saw those panels. I was like, this is great. I approve of this. It's a short comic. It's a good comic. I wish it had had more time because you could tell that Teeny Howard yeah. had more to say, I guess. But I just didn't. I don't think it did it good enough, basically, sales wise. 
But I remember mm-hmm. when it came out just being like, yes, <laughs> it's all the characters I love. Like, this is amazing. And it was. It was really fun. But yeah, Satana, whenever she has her big, like, as an Aries, I can't help but just see it as Aries. Like the... um like the sheep horn it just looks like that mm. to me oh, i think yeah, it's such her, a yeah. good look i'm just like of course as the aries i call aries the sign most likely to have a neck tattoo of the aries <laughs> symbol but i was like oh i love that look and then i was like of course you do <laughs> like maybe satana and bloodstorm should be a couple in my humble opinion i think that her and bloodstorm would be a great match Oh, well, this has been incredible. We have talked for a very long time. I think I'm out of things to say about Bloodstorm right now, but only because they really don't give us that much to work with and we already like beat it to death, right? (laughs) So it's Mm. like they give us like three or four issues over decades. I love Bloodstorm. I want Bloodstorm to come back. I think that... Storm is great, but how fun is this? Just takes me back to my idea for Team of Storms, <laughs> where it's just all of the storms of the multiverse who have to deal with each other. Because if there's one thing Storm doesn't want to do, it's deal with her other selves. And one of them, one of them is the Storm, who's Sorcerer Supreme, yes. and her wife is Callisto, and she like basically just is naked except for she wears like the cape. She is not putting clothes on in the morning. She is not doing it. And I respect that. I also love, yeah, it'll be Sorcerer Supreme. It's like the version of her that was in Hell with Belasco in the Magic series. Mm. Of course, you've got to have the 90s X-Men cartoon version in there, of course. All of the storms, but not only is Bloodstorm from Mutant X in it, Teen Bloodstorm is in it as well. So have fun, everybody. (laughs) This is the best series that's never existed. It's never going to exist. Nobody's cool enough to let something this amazing happen. But... Oh, why can't it's I just be the editor of the Rogue world? Storms? Or <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking if like if Yukio met Bloodstorm, and I feel like they'd have a fun two weeks, but then Yukio would be like, I kind of miss my Storm, who was like kind of like more fun, yeah. <laughs> yeah, more of a normie, because it's like that's their dynamic. And so if there's a Storm who's like more wacky than Yukio, like Yukio doesn't really isn't that interested. I think that- they, that Yukio would volunteer wholeheartedly to become a vampire, <laughs> first of all, but then also would be it would turn into a power dynamic between those two, which would be she amazing like, to read. <laughs> she like turns into a vampire, and for six months she's like, "Hell yeah, this is amazing!" And then she's kind of like, "Okay, I don't want this anymore." So she runs off to Storm, and she's like, "Hey Storm, I became a vampire. Can you help me unvampire?" And Storm is like, "Oh my gosh, how did this happen?" And Yukio is like well I just thought it would be kind of fun and kind of hot and Storm is like oh my god (laughs) I love my vision of Yukio is like the fuck boy who every time somebody's like well why would you make such a horrible mistake she's just like because I missed you babe (laughs) or like whatever (laughs) and like that to me is like (laughs) and who will fall for that every time other than our wind rider Aurora if there is a woman who is constantly dating, like, <laughs> so it's just like she wants, 
what Aurora wants is Yukio sneaking in with like a knife into her bedroom and being like, I have so many people who are about ready to break in here and kill me. Help me. And Storm's like, a knife and some like cheap chocolates that she got from like Rite Aid. Like all of of the fuckboy standbys of like, what do you mean? I just missed you, babe. Like, yeah. Calls like the text at three o'clock in the morning. That's like, whatever happened to us? <laughs> this is who Yukio is, and I know because I've dated Yukio. <laughs> oh my god. All right. I love this episode. This has been fun. Yes. It's been perhaps even gayer than most of our other episodes of this, which, mm, good luck. <laughs> Good work us, I guess, because us yelling Gene for eight episodes in a row or whatever, somehow we have gotten even gayer. (laughs) And uh, before the episode is done, I wanted to mention, um, Sarah told me that some people were leaving nice comments on the Patreon about the episode. So I just wanted to say thank you if you left a nice comment. And thanks everybody for, thanks everybody for supporting the Patreon. Because that is very good for bitches on comics. Yeah, it sure is nice. <laughs> so like, <laughs> we kind of hit a place where we were like, cool. I mean, it doesn't like cost me money to put this podcast on anymore. So that's nice. And to me, that's <laughs> us. So thanks, everybody. Yeah. And also, it kind of gives me an excuse to have these uh, like constant rambling phone calls with Priya um, about <laughs> X-Men, gay stuff, whatever. Other things. X-Men, vampires, <laughs> vampire X-Men, being gay. <laughs> that's what we're here for. And that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, happy Halloween, I guess, everybody. Uh, this Actually, this will go up on Halloween. So happy Halloween. Um, if you're listening to it after Halloween, well, happy Halloween still, I guess. It's Halloween all year long, baby. Happy Halloween is Halloween in our hearts all year long. It's lesbian vampire movies in our hearts all year long. (laughs) So real. (laughs) What's up, everyone? It's Noah Daniels. Hey, y'all. I'm JJ. Hey, guys. It's Kat. And we're your host of the Real Hauntings Podcast, where we bring on guests who share their first-hand encounter ghost stories and supernatural experiences. Now on to the trailer. I've been warned to not tell this story, but I think because of the way it ends, it's okay to tell this story. Because some people say that with certain entities, to like speak of them or talk about them or in any way like portray them as powerful will attract them to other people. The creepiest thing about it to me is a lot of times it would wait for me to notice it. Like it would just lay its arm out like this and then I'd be like, where is it? Where is it? And then I'd see it and then it would just slither back. For more information on the Real Hauntings, Real Ghost Stories podcast, make sure you check out real.fm to learn more about our podcast and many other amazing podcasts.